We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 264 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Let's get right down to it. Today, we have a supersized episode with a full league-wide NFL mock draft with writers, podcasters, and draft personalities from around the NFL. This is a monster episode that you're going to get a ton of information from, from around the league at which position and which player each team might be looking to target. A huge thank you to everyone who took part in this project. Now let's get started right away as the Arizona Cardinals are now officially on the clock in the Pack-A-Day Podcast's first ever league-wide mock draft. Joining me now for the first pick in our inaugural mock draft for the Pack-A-Day Podcast is Jess Root. Jess is the site editor for Cards Wire and also is the podcaster for Rise Up See Red. Jess, thanks so much for joining me and being our Cardinals expert tonight. I greatly appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right. So I want to discuss this with you. Obviously, uh, the Cardinals are sitting in the prime spot here, obviously not exactly where anyone wants to be picking. uh, But come draft time, you're in the perfect spot of having the number one overall pick. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion of either Nick Bosa or Kyler Murray. I'm sure there's other prospects that could be at play here as well. Uh, But where are the Cardinals kind of leaning at this time? And where do you think they might go? And who are they really deciding between? 
Well, I think it comes down to basically two players, at least for the top spot. They really do like Quinn and Williams out of Alabama, but they won't take him with the number one pick. I don't know whether that's just a value issue. The, the defensive tackles just don't go number one overall. Um, it's really going to come down to Kyler Murray and Nick Bosa. And it's going to come down to are they willing to pull the trigger on a new quarterback just a year after taking Josh Rosen and trading up to get Josh Rosen? My theory is they will go for more. I think they like both of them. And I know Cliff Kingsford really, really likes Kyler Murray. He has been, <laughs> he has been very public about that. He, he also likes Rosen. If the Cardinals get what they want in a deal for Rosen, they'll make the Murray pick. I think they're waiting for a first-round pick, and if they get that or have that, and there's some little bit of whispers around that there might be a deal already in place, and they're just waiting. Uh, in that case, then then Murray will be the pick. As of right now, I'm going to say that Murray will be the pick. If they don't have a deal for Rosen, because I don't think they draft Murray without Rosen having already have a deal in place, and I think they're waiting for a first and I think they have to get a first for him to make that move. If they don't take Murray, it will most certainly be Nick Bosa. He fits perfectly into that defense. Pair him with Chandler Jones, mentored by Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the game right now. And Terrell Suggs, whom the Cardinals just signed, one of the best pass rushers ever. He won't have to, he won't have to make an immediate impact in terms of an every down player because they already have starters. But he should be able to get double-digit sacks in in this in that first year. Now, Kyler Murray, he's going to be a rookie quarterback, but he will be he will be able to unlock really kind of the full potential of Cliff Kingsborough's offense. And I think that's the way that they're going to go. I think they will have a deal in place, probably Washington, where they ideally they'll get the number fifteen pick, so they don't really lose a draft pick. They still get Murray, their quarterback, for Cliff Kingsbury to unlock every potential possible. And they, I think they see him as a potential Patrick Mahomes-type star. Steve Kime has really lamented losing out on Russell Wilson, uh, losing out on Patrick Mahomes. And so I don't think he wants to miss out on this. Murray will be the pick, ultimately. They'll get a first-rounder from some team, and I think it'll probably be Washington. And so they'll be able to take a probably offensive tackle-type player in the, in the middle of the first round as well. I think that makes a, a ton of sense. And I think this is really one of the most interesting picks, of course, in the entire draft. And of course, it's one overall, so it's always going to be interesting. But just the situation that plays out here, uh, just a couple really quick questions for you, Jess, before I let you go. First of all, what's kind of the, the feel and the thought uh, in Cardinals Nation right now? Are, are Cardinals fans on board with this move? Do they want to see Josh Rosen get a little bit more time? Well, what What's kind of the thought process going on right now? It's very split. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very split right now and it feels like it, and no matter what happens the fan base won't be happy because they take Murray then we're bailing on Rosen and that that really makes the team look dumb like you take you trade up for a top 10 pick for quarterback one year you put him in the worst situation like ever for a rookie quarterback to play him and then just give up on him after a year um, when you, but it's really kind of erasing everything about 2018. It makes you look bad. It makes you look, you know, Cleveland Browns ish over like historically. But there's also, hey, Murray is going to be a star. Rosen didn't show much, and so hey, why not? I mean, we kicked the kicked the guy, kicked Steve Wilkes to the side after one season. Really kind of blew up the, the roster. Why not make it the, the roster makeover completely complete and just go all in with Cliff Kingsbury in his offense? So 
there's there's intrigue, there's excitement, but there is a there is a bunch of Cardinals fan. There are a bunch of Cardinals fans who won't be happy with it. No, I think that makes sense. Of, of course, it's a house divided. That seems to be the, the popular theme across the NFL at the moment. The last question I guess I have, I agree with you. I think they're going to go with Kyler Murray here, and I, it just seems that the writing's on the wall a little bit. But a part of this screams to me that they could be trying to bait a team like, let's say, the Oakland Raiders, who have a ton of draft picks, to try to get up to one, maybe give up two or three of those first rounders to get up to number one uh, so that they can take Kyler Murray, that they can get the the lion's share of the picks, still leave with uh, one of the top pass rushers that they want at number four with the Raiders pick, and really kind of get everything that they wanted and still keep Josh Rosen and develop him. Is there any thought that this might be the case, that they're trying to bait a team like the Raiders, or does it legitimately seem like it's Kyler and probably Rosen on the move? I think it's probably the but I think they are prepared. I think there's a price. I think there's kind of a price point where they say, okay, they're comfortable enough with Rosen moving forward that they would take the extra talent. I think I might take all three firsts that the Raiders have, but they might get away with two in that that top of the second round pick. So they taking getting three picks in the first. 35 for their number one pick. It works out perfectly if they can land Quinn and Williams. Otherwise, it, it makes it a little bit more questionable because you lose on that top talent there at the top of the draft. I think that's that's only if they get blown away, and it may be only if they get offered those three first-round picks. They're like, okay, we'll go with Rosen. We'll go with this slew of talent as well. Sure. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, before I let you go, Jess, where can we follow you on Twitter? Well, the the site is carswire.com. You can find me personally on Twitter. It's at Senor Jess Root, just the regular end, not a squiggly, like not the Enya in Spanish, S-E-N-O-R-J-E-S-S-R-O-O-T, or the site account, which is cards underscore wire. All right, Jess, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and we'll have to do this again soon. All right, thank you. Joining me now is Packaday Podcast's very own Steve Perhatch. He is joining me to select for the 49ers at number two overall in the draft. Of course, Kyler Murray went number one overall to the Cardinals. Steve, first of all, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a, it's a lot of fun to do this kind of stuff. I, I live and eat mock drafts, so I'm all about it. I agree. I'm all about the mock drafts. I'm all about draft season. This is a ton of fun. Uh, You kind of are in a perfect position. Of course, Kyler Murray went one overall to the Cardinals, but the world is your oyster besides Kyler Murray. You can pick anyone that you want for the 49ers. Who are a couple players, first of all, that the 49ers might be considering here? I mean, it's it's top of the draft board. So, I mean, you've got everybody, but for the 49ers, they're looking, I mean, you got to think they're looking pass rush. So you're looking Nick Bosa, you're looking Josh Allen, Quinnen Williams is another name that could pop. So, I mean, those are three of the guys that are just right, right at the top. And to be able to just choose from like, oh, here's the top three pass rushers in the draft. Pick which one you like. It's, it's a great situation being for the 49ers. Absolutely. So taking a look at it, of course, you know, there's a Nick Bosa, there's a Quinnen Williams, a Brian Burns, a Josh Allen, uh, Ed Oliver, just to name a few. What direction do you think the 49ers will go in in this situation? I mean, for me, simple, simple solution is Nick Bosa. I think he, you don't overthink it. You just go with the best available player and it happens to be at one of their positions of need. So it's just, it's a really a home run. I mean, Nick Bosa is a whole, a plug-in right away, start from day one type of talent, which is what you want when you're rebuilding 49ers team and Jimmy G coming back on the offense. So, I mean, if you can plug in him uh, with the Forrest Bunkner on the other side, like that's a, that's a great tandem to have. And 
I feel very confident that that's going to be the number two pick in the draft. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think you said it best not for them to overthink it. I think this is a fantastic pick. Certainly somebody that's number one overall on my board. I think he'd fit right in with the 49ers. Let's just say really quick, Steve, that Nick does go number one to the Cardinals. Who do you think might be in play for them in that situation, assuming they do not trade out of the pick? Probably some of the guys we talked about. I would say Quentin Williams would be my, if it, if I can't have Nick Bosa, then I would take Quentin Williams. It's just, he's one of those monsters, uh, just a hair for me underneath what Nick Bosa can do. But I mean, you saw what he was doing at Alabama. The man was dominating on the line of a scrimmage and that's what you need. You want those guys. Like it's not the sexy picks in the world of, of getting the defensive line, the offensive line, but those are the guys that just set your offense and your defense. And that's how you eat. And for me, I would want to just take the best defensive player available right there. And if Bosa has gone, then for me, it's Williams. No, I totally agree with you. I think that makes a ton of sense. All right, Steve, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your 49ers pick, and we'll see you soon on another edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Joining me now is Anthony Lachardi. He is a draft analyst and writer for What's on Draft. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. So, of course, you've been following the Jets very, very closely. Uh, I know you're a big Jets fan. So, uh, Anthony, you're obviously sitting here with the Jets at pick three in the draft. Of course, Kyler Murray and Nick Bosa have been taken already. What are some thoughts that in this scenario might be kind of going through the Jets' heads, and what are some players that might be really uh, of consideration here? So, I think, obviously, the first two picks have a major effect on how uh, this selection plays out. Obviously, with Bosa gone, that takes uh, the best player at a position of need off the board. So initially, I'm thinking uh, Quinton Williams, who is my number one player in this draft. But there's also possibilities like Josh Allen, who's been mocked to the Jets time and time again, Jonah Williams, and uh, even DK Metcalf, who saw his stock rise spectacularly after the combine. But I'm actually going to go with Brian Burns, the FSU edge rusher, who's still a top uh, seven player on my board. And my third ranked edge rusher, who I think, even though Josh Allen is traditionally a better scheme fit here. I think Burns' skill set translates better to what the Jets are trying to do on defense. Interesting. I think that's a really interesting pick. Absolutely love Brian Burns. I think he is a uh, bona fide edge rusher, and I think he would add an instant pass rush to any defense that's looking to add this. Uh, you kind of discussed already some other names that uh, could potentially be in play there. What was really the, the thing that kind of sold you that uh, the Jets might take Brian Burns uh, over someone like a Josh Allen or a Quinnen Williams? So the two things that come to mind is uh, positional value and the need that goes into that. So Quinn Williams is the better player, but positional value-wise, edge rusher is still much more important. And the Jets' pass rush last year and for the last few years has been absolutely awful. So the second thing that goes into that is the risk factor of players four. And Josh Allen is not close to a finished product. He wins uh, with his speed more than anything else and just is not the technician that Burns is. So when you bring it down to edge rusher and it comes between Burns and Allen at this third overall pick, you have to go with the more finished product, especially when they have similar ceilings. You can't take that risk and risk having such poor pass rushing attack for the next few years, especially when this is supposed to be your window. I think that makes a ton of sense. Anthony, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Where can uh, people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at a witch underscore scout. That's A-L-I-C-C underscore scout. All right. Well, thanks so much again for joining me. Good luck to your Jets in the draft. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for your time. Yep. Thanks for having me on.
All right. Joining me now with the fourth overall pick for the Oakland Raiders is the Packaday podcast, very own Andrew Mertig. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the clock. <laughs> I appreciate it. So of course we know that Kyler Murray went one overall to the Cardinals, Nick Bosa two to the Niners and Brian Burns went number three to the Jets. So you're the Oakland Raiders. You're taking a look at the board. Who are a couple options, first of all, that you think the Raiders would consider in this type of scenario? Yeah, this is an interesting one, too, because I would have very seriously considered Kyler Murray. Um, Nick Bosa probably is the best fit out of all of the players. Um, And Brian Burns is an interesting guy, too. I think when you look at four overall, the Raiders have a lot of needs. You could look Josh Allen. You could look Ed Oliver, uh, maybe even DK Metcalf in this position. Um, but I, I believe the Raiders have to get pass rush from somewhere after trading away Khalil Mack. And to me, Quinnen Williams, the defensive lineman from Alabama, is the best player in the draft class. He is my number one overall rated player, and he can be a true impact player in both the run and the pass game. And I really like, you know, the interior pass rush idea. You have guys like Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald that have led their defenses with that interior pressure. And I think the defensive coordinator in Oakland, Paul Gunther, really likes that. And he he has experience with a guy like Geno Atkins. So to me, Quinn Williams is the obvious pick if he slides to four. I love the pick. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think Oakland would be ecstatic to get him at number four overall. Uh, If they had their choice, Andrew, who do you think they would really be hoping to fall the number four here? I think Nick Bosa makes the most sense um, as that kind of traditional defensive end that I think fit, fits Gunther's scheme the best. Uh, Josh Allen will certainly be a very serious consideration at that pick, but I think you have to go with the biggest impact player. And for me, that's Quinn and Williams. Makes a ton of sense. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you on the Packaday podcast soon. Sounds great. Thanks. With the fifth pick in the NFL draft, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the clock and there's only one person who could absolutely come in and help me decide who the Buccaneers will be selecting. And that is Trevor Sikama, who is the Buccaneers beat writer for Pewter Report. He is also an NFL draft expert for the Draft Network. Trevor, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Oh man, the only one who can make the pick. I feel so flattered, Andy. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. You bet. It's a pleasure. I'm a huge fan of your work and uh, all the work that you guys are doing over at the Draft Network. And you guys have been so kind to, to come on and uh, be on our podcast a couple times already. So uh, really looking forward to this. But taking a look at Tampa Bay's board, of course, Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, and Quinn and Williams have been taken already. Uh, Trevor, who are a couple options for Tampa Bay here? And ultimately, who did you decide to go with for the Buccaneers? Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably one of three players that they're thinking of. I think Josh Allen's certainly in consideration from the edge position. You know, there's a there's a theory that he's probably going to be gone in reality by the time the Bucks come on the clock. But who knows? I mean, there's plenty of good names. Obviously, even the names that went ahead of him make sense. They're good players, so I totally get it. But he is a guy who not many are predicting to be on the board, but probably if he is, the Buccaneers could end up selecting. Ed Oliver is another one. No idea really where Ed Oliver is going to go. All I know is that there are a lot of fans of different teams that want him. I mean, Lions fans, Packers fans, Bengals fans, everybody, Falcons fans, everybody wants Ed Oliver. It's just what I'm what I'm figuring out right now. And so, who knows where he goes? I know he's certainly on the Bucks radar as well. And then the last one, the player that probably you know, if I had to put money on it today, who the Buccaneers might ultimately take at number five in reality. And that's Devin White, the linebacker out of LSU. It just makes sense. 
Bucks moving more to a 3-4 defense. They're going to need more out of their linebackers. They just lost Quan Alexander. Levante David's still great, but they got nothing around him. So they're playing in a scheme that's going to require more of their linebackers and having more linebackers on the field than they have in the year before. And so anytime you lose a good one, that's never a good start. And so I've got to think that they, they're really looking to, and taking a good hard look at, at Devin White, and I know that they have already and they like what they see. All right, so ultimately all those players on the board, who is the selection for your Buccaneers? I'm going to take Josh Allen. I'm a big fan. I mean, like, I love Ed Oliver, and I was really tempted to, to still pick Ed Oliver even with Josh Allen on the board. But edge pressure is king, man, and, and just there's a reason why the top edge players are often the guys that go in the top 10. They're the guys that get those extra fifth-year contract or fifth, yeah, fifth-year contracts on their rookie deal. It's because you want to get edge rushers for as long as you can, especially when you're picking them in the first round. And even more than that, even more emphasis goes on when you pick them in the top five. I think Josh Allen is really awesome. And when I look at this Buccaneers roster, yes, I would say that interior defensive tackle and linebacker are more immediate needs this year, but I'm building for the future and I'm building this team the correct way. And when I look at their edge rushes right now, I see basically just Noah Spence, who really has just not come into his own enough yet after a couple of years. I don't even know what they're going to have in him. Carl Nassib, who is not really a stand-up edge guy. He's more of just a true three-point stance down lineman. So him turning into a stand-up rusher, I don't even even know how that's going to go. He certainly had the best year of his entire career last year. I don't know how much of a fluke that was. And then Jason Pierre-Paul is the other one. Big name, got 12 sacks last year, was absolutely worth every penny of that draft pick that they traded for him a year prior. But he's getting up there. He's he's in his 30s. Who knows how long this guy's going to continue to play the game or at a high level. I can't let edge rush be a position that starts to go downhill before I'm ready for it. I'm looking to the future. I'm picking one of the best ones in the class. That's why Josh Allen's my guy for the Buccaneers here. Trevor, I love the pick. I think he makes a ton of sense for Tampa Bay, especially in the scenario where Quinnen and Burns and Bosa are all off the board. Really appreciate your time. I uh, certainly wish you the best of luck with your Buccaneers draft with number five overall and uh, appreciate all you're doing with the draft coverage. Before I let you go, where, where can we follow you on Twitter? Yeah, sure, man. Uh, at Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E is where you can find me on Twitter. I post all my Pewter Report and Draft Network stuff there. And then, yeah, those two places, we're, we're pumping it all out. We're uh, getting to the end of this April month, and I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Thanks so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Again, good luck to your Buccaneers, and we'll have to do this again soon. Of course, man. Anytime. So joining me now is Pack-A-Day Podcast's very own Dan Kotnick. Dan will be making his selection for the New York Giants at pick number six. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining me. First of all, I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Andy. Happy to be here. All right. Well, thanks so much. So, so far, of course, Dan, we've had Kyler Murray go number one overall, followed by Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, Quinnen Williams, and Josh Allen. So taking a look at this from a Giants perspective, who are some prospects that you were kind of considering that New York might be interested in at pick six? Well, I, I think the first process is to try and get in the mindset of David Gettleman, which I think is a huge ask for anybody because it's really hard to kind of tell where they are moving forward with this rebuild process because they're holding on to Eli Manning, it seems like, for another year. But, I mean, you let Landon Collins and Odell go, so you have needs right there right away, obviously. And then, you know, with the offensive line the way it was last year, you let Flowers go in the middle of the season. I think that's a huge need. So there was a lot of ways to go. You know, there's talk of finding that replacement for Eli Manning. Gettleman's, you know, come out a couple of times and said that they're not really interested in Dwayne Haskins, who's kind of that uh, de facto, probably de facto pick for number six. So 
if it's not a quarterback, which I think should be the place that they go personally, the biggest need outside of, you know, wide receiver and offense, I think goes to that offensive line because really no matter who you have back there, whether it was going to be a Dwayne Haskins or Eli Manning, you've got to keep them protected. And then with Saquon Barkley there too, you need to give him a chance. And so that's why I looked at the best offensive tackle I think that's in the draft right now. And that's Jonah Williams from Alabama. Interesting. I really like the pick. I think Jonah Williams isn't maybe getting a respect, the respect from a lot of people that he deserves. I definitely think he's one of the top prospects in this draft as well. Uh, you made a, an interesting case, of course, for the quarterbacks as well. Uh, but you're right. Dave Gettleman is certainly a really interesting mind to try to get into. But uh, I love the pick of Jonah Williams, and I certainly think that he would fit in really well. Who's a player that maybe New York would really be hoping would fall to this spot? I would think if it's if it's not the offensive tackle that's here, I think edge rusher would probably be where they would go just because of being in the a position where you're just outside of the top five with the elite pass rushing that you have in this draft, that there's a chance that uh, one of those top five teams, you know, makes a makes a different change or, or goes a different route that you're not really expecting. And you could have a guy like Quinnen Williams or Josh Allen fall to you, or I mean even right now. With six, you could make the you could make the argument for Ed Oliver, you know, at this position too. So I think if they don't go this way with Jonah Williams and address the offensive line, I really think at six they take a look at the uh, the defensive side of the ball and the defensive line. Perfect, that makes a ton of sense. Dan, thanks so much for joining me, and we'll catch you soon on another edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. No problem. Thanks, Andy. You bet. You bet. All right, we have already made it to pick seven in our mock draft, and now selecting are the Jacksonville Jaguars. And joining me to make that selection is Christopher Thornton. He is a host of Locked on Jaguars podcast and a longtime Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is an awesome opportunity. Yeah, you bet. I'm excited to see where your Jaguars might go with this selection. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to the Packers at pick 12. We've had six players off the board already, including Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, Quinnen Williams, Josh Allen, and Jonah Williams. Uh, Chris, the Jaguars have a lot of different directions that they could go into with this pick. Before we kind of get into your selection, what are some of the players, one, that the Jaguar fans are hoping will fall to them at seven, and two, when this board fell the way it did, uh, who were you really deciding between here? All right, so a lot of the uh, a lot of the big names that Jaguars fans are really coveting are, uh, even though they signed quarterback Nick Foles in free agency, a lot of people don't view him as the long-term answer. So Dwayne Haskins is a guy that the fan base has been wanting for a long time. So if he's there at seven, the fan base will definitely be wanting him. A guy that I personally covet is uh, TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. I think he's going to be one of the next big tight ends, considering how John DeFilippo used tight ends when he was in Philadelphia and just stuff like that uh, is another option. And then Another leading option that seems to have come late is Florida right tackle Jawan Taylor. Uh, he's a lot of them view him as the number one tackle in the draft. And the Jaguars have a hole on the right side; they have a hole at right guard and right tackle. So Jawan Taylor being there at seven is also a very intriguing option that I think the Jaguars are going to look strongly at as long, or as well as uh, Dwayne Haskins and T.J. Hawkinson. 
I, I certainly understand that. And uh, giving my outsider's perspective, obviously not a Jaguars fan, but it certainly seems like with Nick Foles coming in at quarterback that you really want to solidify that offensive line position. He's obviously going to be more of that pocket quarterback that you really want to protect and give him good tackles, give him time to look down the field. And then obviously, if you're looking at that right side of the offensive line, not only is that going to help Nick Foles, but that's obviously going to help Leonard uh, Fournette as well. Again, from the outside looking in, it certainly seems like if everything clicks the way that it's supposed to, like it did a couple of years ago, that that defense could still perform at a very high level. But if they could solidify that offense and get Nick Foles clicking a little bit, who knows where the Jaguars could go this coming season? Uh, one, how far am I off on that? And, and two, do you think that right tackle position is really somewhere where they could go? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing right there. I think with Jawan being there at seven, the whole philosophy is you're giving Nick Foles $88 million. Uh, you're going to want to protect him. You're going to keep him upright. The Jaguars O-line was decimated by injury last year, but when they're healthy, they could be a top five unit in the NFL. And they showed that and bits and pieces over the last two years. Uh, and then adding Andrew Norwell in last year. So I think that's a very strong possibility of them to go O-line to protect their franchise quarterback, for at least for right now, over guys like TJ Hoggetson and Dwayne Haskins, because I've kind of been preaching against Haskins as of late because you did give Foles all this money, so you should commit to him. And I think that's why ultimately I think the Jaguars are going to go Jawan Taylor at seven. All right, so final answer, Jawan Taylor picks seven to the Jaguars? Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, I certainly love that pick. And I, I think a bookend tackles of Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor for the course of the next, hopefully for you guys, 10 seasons would certainly be fun to watch and certainly be whoever is in that quarterback, uh, be two bookend tackles for that quarterback again for the foreseeable future. So uh, Chris, before I let you go, thank you for taking the time. Where can we find you on social media and where can we find your work? Yeah. So most of my stuff is on Twitter and you can find that at the handle at Misto Christofo. It's a little of a mouthful. So I'll spell it out real quick. M-I-S-T-O-C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-O. And if that's still too complicated, you can go to at Locked On Jaguars. And my name is conveniently placed in the description. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely make sure to go out and follow. Uh, Chris, certainly we wish you and the Jaguars the best of luck in the draft, as long as you don't take anyone that we want at pick 12. (laughs) Uh, But certainly wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much again for taking the time. May the draft board be ever in your favor and uh, you have a great rest of your evening. The Detroit Lions are on the clock with the eighth pick in our mock draft. And joining me now is Packaday Podcast's very own Russell Brown. He is a national scout for CoverOne.net and the host of the Cover One NFL Draft Podcast. I am so thankful that he is part of our Packaday Podcast team throughout the draft here. Russell, thanks so much for joining me and making this pick for the Lions. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to be a part of Packaday for sure. You guys are doing phenomenal stuff every single day, especially with every podcast with a wide variety of members of the the Packer community. And you allowed my lion self into the mix. So I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate having you. Of course, the old adage is keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> we've, we've got to make sure we keep tabs on the Lions and the Vikings and the Bears as much as we can. But in all seriousness, it's been great having you. And we always love a different perspective, especially one that's in the division. But that being said, the Lions, of course, are in the division. So they're in the position to kind of screw over the Packers twice. One, picking four picks before the Packers at pick eight, before they pick at pick 12. And two, picking a really good player that will help them and hopefully 
uh, for your sake, uh, help them beat the Packers continuously going forward, uh, like the Lions did this past season, beating the Packers and, and sweeping them throughout 2018. So uh, there's obviously some interesting players that were on the board here, some that certainly the Packer fans would love having fall to the Packers at 12. Those names include TJ Hawkinson, Devin White, Montez Sweat, Ed Oliver, uh, and a plethora beyond that. Devin Bush would be another one. But Russell, what kind of options would the Lions, you know, really like to see here? And ultimately, what direction did you decide to go in? Well, when I when I saw the list of players that were available, I was really stuck, uh, like thinking, "Wow, I, I really don't know what to do for this team because they do have a plethora of needs. They they could use another cornerback opposite of uh, Darius Slay. They spent some." very top dollar for Justin Coleman to play as a nickel corner for them or as a nickel back, however you'd want to prefer it. Um, I think they need linebacker help, whether it was an outside linebacker or maybe moving Jared Davis outside and, and taking somebody like Devin White or somebody I would prefer like Devin Bush, who is my top linebacker. But with them just recently taking a linebacker in the first round, I don't see them doing that again unless just somehow, some way they've they have one of those guys really high on their board. I do like Devin Bush a little bit more than Devin White. I have them in the early teens on my big board, and they have not drafted a cornerback since 1998, which they did at Terry Fair, one pick before Randy Moss. So they've gone 20 years without drafting a corner in the first round. I don't see that being an option for them. And ultimately, I just went with the best player available. They have a Sean Robinson listed um, as their starting defensive tackle, aside from Damon Harrison. Um, they do have the Sean Han who developed well as a rookie, but he's more of kind of like a, a five technique, maybe as a four eye defensive end. Um, so he won't play all the time as an interior defensive lineman. And I think somebody that would be uh, the, the best fit for them would be Ed Oliver, just simply because of his versatility. I love his explosiveness. I love his aggressiveness. I love how disruptive he is. And I think pairing him up with Damon Harrison, Trey Flowers, Romeo Okorora, uh, with a Sean Robinson to Sean hand rotating in and, and Devin Kennard as well as a, as a pass rusher on, at times, I, I think Ed Oliver would be a phenomenal fit for them a little bit undersized, but he plays with an incredible chip on his shoulder. Again, very aggressive, relatively good hand usage. And he's just a fundamentally sound defensive tackle that I think would be really beneficial on the Lions defensive front, uh, especially if he was there at the eighth overall pick. Yeah, and I think you just broke a lot of Packer fans' hearts for a variety of reasons <laughs> in this scenario. I think a lot of Packer fans, myself included, are hoping that Oliver slips to 12. It seems like if he would, that the league just kind of overthought it again because he's just such mm-hmm. a talented player. And, and Russell, you brought up a lot of great points. In one offseason, adding Trey Flowers and Ed Oliver to any front four is going to make that team immeasurably better, especially from a pass rush standpoint. But then you add him to a Snacks Harrison and a Deshaun Hand and, uh, you know, Ashawn Robinson, who can really eat up blocks and really be uh, nightmares for the running game as well. Uh, it would really be an incredibly well-rounded unit and certainly one that I think the Packers offensive interior uh, would have trouble with. So as I kind of mentioned at the onset, this has the ability to be a pick where uh, the Lions kind of, uh, again, not only take somebody that the Packers want, but take somebody that the Packers are going to have a tough time dealing with for the foreseeable future. And that certainly would be the case with that Oliver. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot to like with him and He's, you know, block recognition, getting to the heels of an offensive line, bending to the football. Um, He's just, he's at the complete package. He's the third best player on my board. So to be able to get him at eight, I think is a steal. And I absolutely agree. I think this would be in a case where the NFL and, and just really, 
people in the draft community are overthinking at Oliver a little bit, but um, at eighth overall, it's, it's an absolute steal. So I'd be very pleased with him at the eighth pick. You and I think a lot of Lions fans. Russell, before I let you go, thanks so much for joining me. Where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we find your work? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft. Uh, it's pretty simple there. You smash the follow button and you're going to get some takes every now and again, a lot of film breakdown and pretty much everything that I ever write or do in a podcast or on the radio will be on that site. So check it out at Russ NFL Draft. We will absolutely do so. Russ, you do fantastic work. We appreciate you having you on the podcast and thanks so much for your time tonight. The ninth pick in the draft belongs to the Buffalo Bills, and I needed a draft expert, but also a huge Buffalo Bills fan. There's absolutely only one person I could possibly bring in to help me make this decision, and that, of course, is Joe Marino of the Draft Network. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today, and who are we thinking might be some options for the Buffalo Bills at pick nine? Thanks for having me on to to go through this, and a lot of the guys that I would have hoped the Bills could pick here at number nine were snatched up, particularly at Oliver, who has already been drafted. Uh, you know, maybe Josh Allen if he were to fall, um, and so that really shifted the dynamics of this conversation to me back to the offensive side of the ball. I, I think the Bills would love to come away with an impact defensive lineman at number nine, but uh, I, I feel like the options that they would really want to consider have already been taken. And that makes a ton of sense. You, you mentioned a lot of those top pass rushers, uh, the Ed Olivers, of course, the Josh Allens, the Brian Burns, the Nick Bosa's, they're all gone in this situation. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have done a phenomenal job of addressing kind of that offensive line in the offseason already. Uh, so that leaves uh, maybe a, a tight end, a wide receiver. Ultimately, what position do you think they'll attack here in this scenario? Yeah, like you said, there's six offensive linemen have already been added uh, as unrestricted free agents to this group. And so while I don't think we should rule it out at number nine, I think it's less likely given some of the other holes on the roster. Uh, I think in in terms of wide receiver, that's another position that's in play. But they did add John Brown and Cole Beasley to go with Robert Foster and Zay Jones. And this is a deep wide receiver class. And so that kind of shifts my attention to the tight end position where On the roster right now, you have Jake Fisher, who is transitioning from offensive line. You have Jason Kroom. He's a converted wide receiver who's been in the league for a couple years now, and and he's still learning his way at tight end, uh, although he flashed a bit down the stretch in 2018. And then obviously Tyler Croft, who the Bills signed from the Cincinnati Bengals, who's coming off injuries and had a pretty good 2017. But you you just don't feel like there's anything overly dynamic or reliable there. And, and to me, with the way that this scenario has played itself out, tight end looks like that could be the spot to go. I think that makes a ton of sense. A couple major tight ends on the board, of course. You've got Noah Fant. You've got TJ Hawkinson, both from Iowa. Who do you think they would lean towards? For me, I, it, it would be TJ Hawkinson. And what this comes down to is uh, continuing to add weapons around Josh Allen. And you know, they've, they've done well to add speed to the receiving core in the way of John Brown and having Robert Foster already in the mix. And so you get really excited about the spacing that uh, the Bills offense can create with those vertical guys and then having underneath threats like a Zay Jones and Cole Beasley. But where's that tight end? Where's that guy that can really challenge the deep middle of the field, create after the catch and give you that versatility to block as well? And I think that TJ Hawkinson has the upside to be an absolute star in this league. You know, Sean McDermott, when he was in Carolina, I know he wasn't the head coach, but, you know, him and Brandon Bean both come from Carolina. And you can see in a lot of ways 
them trying to tap into the things that made them successful in Carolina and recreate a lot of those things with the Bills. And one thing that they haven't really recreated is that tight end position where they had Greg Olson, and they saw him have three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. And actually, Sean McDermott was recently asked about the tight end position and how important it was to a quarterback. And he specifically mentioned Greg Olson. He said, Hey, when I was in Carolina and we were facing a third and five, I didn't mind it because I knew we were going to get a first down because we had Greg Olson. And I mean, that was pretty telling in terms of how important he thinks that position could be. And I know that in the top 10 positional value really comes into play, but uh, with what the bills have done so far in free agency, it's really set themselves up very favorably to go out and, and get, an X-Factor type player. And in this scenario, TJ Hawkinson would really make a lot of sense. Absolutely love the pick. And I think the thing you hit on there is having that kind of security blanket for for Josh Allen. I think that makes a ton of sense. Give him that weapon. Give him somebody that if things start to break down, you've got that guy that you can trust. Like you said, the spacing that some of those speedy receivers, including, sorry, uh, John Brown, that that he's going to create, I think that's going to open up things really nicely underneath for a TJ Hawkinson. I think it makes a ton of sense. And uh, I know that a lot of Packer fans would be disappointed with TJ Hawkinson off the board at number nine. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, thanks for having me. The spot's going to be at the Joe Marino and a lot of content on a daily basis comes through. So that's the spot to keep track of it all. We will absolutely do so. Best of luck to your bills in the draft. We look forward to all of your draft coverage at the draft network. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. With the 10th pick in the draft, the Denver Broncos are on the clock. And joining me to help make this pick is Jake Turner, of course, Packaday Podcast's very own. You can find him on Turning Points. Jake, so thanks so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate your time helping me pick for the Broncos. Absolutely. Anytime, Andy. Happy to help. You bet. So uh, obviously a lot of talented players have been selected already. Uh, the Broncos are sitting here. Certainly pass rush could be uh, a position that they consider. Of course, also quarterback is still kind of the elephant in the room. Who are some players that you were considering here for the Broncos that John Elway could take? And ultimately, where did you decide to go? Well, there was a couple of players that really came to mind. I was thinking about if Brian Burns can drop down to 10. Ed Oliver is a possibility. Montez Sweat. But then I realized they already got Bradley Chubb. They got Von Miller. And they're going to be a great pass rushing right there. But one thing they need is a quarterback. They were 19th ranked in pass offense last year, averaging only 230 yards. They got to keep that pressure off Philip Lindsay. So I believe that they're going to go after a guy that they just had a, a visit from, and that is Missouri quarterback Drew Locke. I've loved this kid for the last four years that he was at Missouri. In his junior year, he actually had probably one of his best seasons yet. He had uh, 44 touchdowns, 13th interceptions, and his quarterback rating to end it, 138.8 in his time as a Tiger. He is elusive. He has a rocket arm. And he just has that passion for the game. And Denver needs a quarterback to help out. So you get Flacco one year, great. But then you need somebody to ride along and create a franchise quarterback. And I believe Drew Locke can do that underneath the tutelage that he got at Missouri. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting pick. And it certainly seems like Drew Locke would be the type of player that John Elway would covet. Like you said, kind of that laser rocket arm uh, kind of actually reminds me a little bit of a, a kind of a Jay Cutler without without kind of the you know attitude issues is probably the wrong thing to say, but kind of some of that persona, if you will. So uh, I think he kind of reminds me a little bit of that and, and certainly a player that I could see fitting in with Denver very well. And like you mentioned, really kind of fitting in uh, under Joe Flacco, having a year to develop and, and hopefully taking the reins on a year later. 
Right, because that's what you're going to be as Vic Fangio. You're an old-school defensive coordinator, so you're going to be using that 3-4 defense that worked so well for you. But then you also have to worry about the offense. And you're going to be a run-first, pass-later kind of football team this year one more time. But then if you can bring in some good receivers, another year with Cortland Sutton, and then you get that chance for Drew Locke, Denver could have something good because right now, Chargers have Phillip Rivers, Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, and you got to have somebody ready for this. So I think that would be a good move on their part. Yeah, and I definitely think you want somebody that's going to be able to have the arm to cut through some of those cold Denver days. Uh, of course, they've got the thin air. That helps a little bit, but uh, certainly Drew Locke's arm would not be an issue there. Well, Andy, it, it gets cold in Missouri. I mean, take it from a guy who lived there for three years. It, it got to a point where it was like 12 below, 5 to 15 degrees at a point. So Locke is – it's no stranger to the cold. He would fit in nicely in Denver. Sounds like a perfect pick. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can follow me at, at Jake Turner Sport, or they can find me on Facebook.com slash both sides of the story. Excellent. Of course, you can always find Jake every other Saturday on the Packaday podcast along his partner in crime, as he always says, Mark Eckel. Jake, thanks so much for taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. So we are now 10 picks in, and I wanted to provide you with a quick recap before we jump to pick 11. So with the first pick in the draft, the Arizona Cardinals selected Kyler Murray, followed by the San Francisco 49ers taking Nick Bosa, the Jets selecting Brian Burns, the Raiders selecting Quinnen Williams, the Buccaneers selecting Josh Allen, the Giants selecting Jonah Williams, followed by Jawan Taylor to the Jaguars, Ed Oliver to the Lions, TJ Hawkinson to the Bills, and Drew Locke to the Denver Broncos. And with that, the Cincinnati Bengals are now on the clock with pick 11. Joining me now is Nathan Papandrea. He is a NFL draft analyst for Big Board Scouting and Whole Nine Sports. Uh, he was nice enough to recently join me on the Packaday podcast, breaking down TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Nathan, thanks so much for joining me and welcome back to the podcast. No problem, man. Happy to be here. Thank you. So today we're going to be discussing who the Bengals might pick with the 11th overall pick in the draft. Obviously, you've had to see, had the opportunity to see the board develop so far. Uh, we have some interesting prospects that are still available. Uh, maybe an in-state guy like a Dwayne Haskins. Uh, who are you kind of thinking might be some options for the Bengals here based off of how the board has fallen? I think quarterback's definitely an option. When you know you have a new coach coming, implementing his new system there in the I mean in Cincinnati. I, I the owner said they're going to give Andy Dalton a prove it deal, so that's not where I'm heading with this pick. Actually, I think they're going to go after either Devin White or Devin Bush specifically because you know Vontae's perfect just left in free agency, and then they need speed on that defense. That's what they lack. And I think they keep up with guys like Lamar Jackson in the North. I feel like you need speed and an alpha presence, and I feel like Devin White will give that to him. I think that makes a, a ton of sense. And uh, Devin White, I'm assuming then, is your pick number 11 overall for the Bengals? Yes, it is. That 4-4 speed, sideline to sideline range, the ability to tackle, run, and cover, I think will fit perfectly in that hard-nosed Cincy defense. I think you make a great point, and obviously you know the Ravens really well with Lamar Jackson coming in. Uh, this is a, a division that certainly needs speed. Uh, you've got a ton of playmakers within that division, and especially, again, with Lamar Jackson being there at quarterback. You've now got a Baker Mayfield. You've got a Ben Roethlisberger. And adding, like you said, an alpha male with a 4-4 speed in the middle of it is certainly a way to try to uh, you know, kind of bring some of those offenses back down to life a little bit. So I love the pick. Uh, who else might be somebody that they might consider? 
Well, if Devin White goes like five to Tampa Bay, I feel like they can look at Devin Bush there, absolutely. I think you can look at a guy like TJ Hawkinson just to provide some stability to the tight end position because, you know, Uzoma is kind of incumbent. You know, Tyler Eifert was hurt constantly. You know, I feel like if you draft Hawk there, you give Dalton a weapon and you give him a good receiving threat to, you know, use in his prove-it-one-year deal before he gets an extension. That makes a ton of sense to me. Nathan, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it, man. The Packers are officially on the clock. It is the 12th pick. It's the moment that a lot of Packer fans will be waiting for come Thursday night. Uh, We will be looking at the Green Bay Packers and who they might select at pick 12. And there is nobody else that could possibly join me for this than the one, the only Aaron Nagler. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me and helping me make this selection. Oh, hey, no problem. Thanks so much for asking me. I feel this awesome responsibility. This is a huge weight on my shoulders. And, uh, you know, along with the everyday bustle and bustle, thanks for putting all this pressure on me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it's exactly what you're probably looking for. I'm sure every Packer fan will agree with whatever decision it is that you (laughs) make. (laughs) Adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is actually uh, one that I'm certainly interested in seeing what direction that you want to go in. Obviously, there's a lot of fan favorites that have already been selected, including TJ Hawkinson, Devin White, Ed Oliver, uh, of course, Brian Burns, Quinnen Williams, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen. Uh, so a lot of a lot of players that Packer fans have really been discussing in this scenario are already off the board. There's still a couple out there, including a Montez Sweat, a Clellan Farrell, uh, Devin Bush that I know a lot of people are really high on. Where were you kind of thinking when you kind of looked at this draft board and what ultimate direction did you decide to go in? Well, it's interesting. You you mentioned all those players that are off the board and, you know, those are a lot of the names that you've heard associated with this pick at number 12. But this is a possibility, right? Where a lot of names that people have gotten attached to, fans have started to kind of hope for that end up getting picked because they're really talented players. I tend to think if the board fell this way, if this is what happens on Thursday night when the Packers are on the clock, I think there's a good chance that Ryan Gutekunst entertains offers to move down. And I know that's not what any any Packers fan wants to hear, but I think it's a good possibility. I would be tempted if I'm Gutekunst to pick Devin Bush in this spot, but ultimately I don't think he does that. He's a little undersized. I know he's definitely a three-down player that can come in and help your defense right away. I just think looking at the history of this particular personnel group, I have a hard time imagining they pull the trigger there. But what I don't have a hard time imagining is them selecting a corner out of DBU. That's right. It's Greedy Williams. Give me Greedy as the pick here. And I know. Packers fans, again, is probably something they don't want to hear. Uh, another cornerback taken in the first round, and in this case, early in the first round. But I tell you what, again, with the board falling the way it has, and you look at Kevin King being unable to stay on the field, and you look at Mike Pettin and his use of his secondary last year, the way he was able to put so many defensive backs in so many different positions, I mean – uh, you just got to go back and start with week one when he has like six, seven defensive backs on the field at one time. Uh, you cannot have enough talent uh, on the back end in the NFL, especially these days when all the rules favor the offense. Everything points to the NFL wanting the quarterback to be able to push the ball down the field. Uh, they're going to give him every opportunity to do so. 
get as much talent as you can at cornerback to shut down these spread offenses, these passing attacks. Ultimately, the Packers have done a really good job of allowing themselves to let this happen, right? Uh, Have the best player possible, regardless of position, fall into their lap. And I think if the board falls the way it has in your mock so far, I think Greedy Williams makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of interesting points there. I think the first thing is if you take this uh, pick just at face value and you don't look back at all of the defensive backs that were taken in the first and early second round over the course of the past, what, three or four years, I think this pick makes so much sense. Right. And I think, I think a lot of fans are, are losing that because they just see the defensive backs that have been selected in the first round uh, by both Ted Thompson, uh, or I shouldn't even say the first round, first and second round over the course of those past three years. And I think they kind of immediately think we're, we can't go into corner again. We can't go corner again. But on, on face value, Greedy Williams, for who he is, he fits so well within this scheme. I would love, love, love to see him paired with Jair Alexander on the outside. I think that's such a fun corner duo. I think they could do so much. And then, like you said, with how many defensive backs that they play at a time, bring in a Josh Jackson, bring in a Kevin King off the bench. It just gives you so much depth and so many weapons to use in the secondary. And that's the thing, too. I think, ultimately, if this were the selection, I'll bet, you know, because I think Kevin King will report and he'll be healthy, you know, he has reported, he's healthy. Um, I think he would probably be the starter. But if he's shown anything else other than the fact that he cannot stay on the field, um, this gives you a pretty damn talented guy who can come in and play in your sub packages at least to start with, if not take over a starting role right away. Uh, look, you need the depth. You need the talent. And again, I, you want to put yourself in the position where you don't have to reach and you don't want to have to reach for need. That's the worst place you can possibly be in as a general manager. And I think Gutekunst has done a good job of positioning himself to be able to make this pick and know that he's not wasting it. He's not making a pick and leaving other positions out in the wind, in the dust, so to speak, because he you know, didn't address them. He he went out in free agency and made the selections he did to be to enable himself to make the best possible choice here. And look, I don't think there's a safety worth picking at 12. I think safety is the most glaring need. You know, maybe possibly they could look at some help along the offensive line, although I don't think they're in the dire straits that maybe we thought they might be coming into the draft. You know, to me, it's again, it's about getting the best possible football player at this spot. And to me, Greedy Williams, looking at everything else that's available, I think he's far and away exactly that. I I totally agree. And I think, uh, again, what a lot of Packer fans are going to be looking at is that cornerback position and and looking at some of those names that are there. And they may not absolutely love this pick, but again, he's somebody that is very high on my board personally. I absolutely love him. And the last thing I'll say is when you are picking in the top 12, and hopefully Green Bay is not making a habit of this, if you're in the top 12, you want premium players at premium positions. And I absolutely value corner as a premium position, especially in Mike Pettin's defense. You want somebody who's going to rush the passer, protect the passer or is going to be able to uh, defend on the back end. And obviously in this situation, you know, there's only a few guys left that are going to be able to do that sort of thing at a high level, whether it's a Montez Sweat, uh, whether it's an Andre Dillard, a Clellan Farrell, or whether it's Greedy Williams. I think those would be the four names that would really have to choose between if you're looking at those premium positions. And I have no problem whatsoever with Greedy Williams being the pick of those four. Well, think of it this way. I mean, the Packers are coming off a season where they – you know, interceptions were a very precious commodity. 
It's something that just didn't happen last year. The Probably the worst year as far as taking the football away from opposing quarterbacks in over a decade, uh, just sheer numbers-wise. Greedy is a guy who obviously has the nickname he has. It is a apt moniker. And he ha- he plays the game with a, you know, that ball belongs to me type mentality. And if nothing else, if he brought his uh, playmaking ability his ball skills, that alone to me uh, helps the Packers exponentially in an area where they were severely lacking last year. Absolutely. We talk about positions of need all the time. What is maybe one of the biggest needs in this offseason is players who can get turnovers because, like you said, those were absolutely rare and few and far between a season ago, and Greedy can absolutely address that. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. I know everyone that's probably listening to this podcast knows where to find you on Twitter, but where can we find you on social media and where can we find your work? Oh, just Aaron Nagler on Twitter, at Aaron Nagler, uh, just my name. And then please, for the love of all that is holy, subscribe to the Cheesehead TV YouTube channel. Trying to get to 20,000 subscribers before the draft. That's probably a tall order, but I want to do it. It's a goal I've set. I rarely set goals because, you know, I'm not a goal-oriented person. But this is a goal that I have. So please, start a YouTube account just so you can subscribe to the Cheesehead TV YouTube channel there on YouTube. I'm doing chats every day, talking to Packers fans each and every day about the draft and everything else surrounding the green and gold. That's where you can find me every day for Cheesehead TV. Absolutely. And there's going to be a lot of great draft coverage out there as well come draft time. So Aaron, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And go Pack Go. There you go. Go Pack. With the 13th pick in the NFL draft, the Miami Dolphins are on the clock. And joining me to help make this pick is Chris Spooner. Chris is the head of social media for Pro Football Network and, of course, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Chris, thanks so much for joining me and taking the time to make this selection for the Miami Dolphins. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. So obviously some interesting picks up until this point. Some really good players still on the board. Uh, we have a Cleland Farrell, a Montez Sweat, Christian Wilkins, a Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, Hollywood Brown. Uh, so a lot of interesting picks out there. DK Metcalf would be another potential option. Where might the Dolphins be looking in this type of scenario? And who are maybe a couple players that they're really hoping fall to this spot? Well, in in this scenario, I really think that the Dolphins even though there is a lot of talent left on the board, I think they would be ultimately looking to move back in the draft, pick up a couple picks for next year. They seem to be really banking on next year being their year to to make some moves. I think they really want to drop down maybe into the high teens, low 20s, pick up a couple of picks, and then make their selection. But if that's not an option, I believe they would be looking towards Montez Sweat, the Uh, edge rusher from Mississippi State. Excellent. Well, that would certainly make a really great selection and certainly someone I think a lot of people will expect to maybe even have gone by that point or certainly the Packers to be interested in at pick 12 one spot earlier. Before we break down Montez Sweat a little bit more, I'm curious to your thoughts kind of in Dolphins Nation. How how much of an option is quarterback for the Dolphins in this draft? Is it something that they could potentially move up for? Obviously, in this scenario, we have a Dwayne Haskins that's still on the board. Uh, there's the potential, of course, that uh, Daniel Jones uh, starts getting a little bit more love. Where might the Dolphins be at the quarterback position in this draft? Uh, as a fan, I really want to select Dwayne Haskins here. That's That's the guy who, if I had the reins, that's who I would be picking. 
but I don't think that's the direction that they're going to go. I think if they do select a quarterback in this draft, it's going to be somewhere on late day two, maybe even day three. I think they're really banking on the likes of, say, Tua Tagovailoa from Auburn or from Alabama, excuse me, uh, next season. I gotcha. So that would certainly make sense than maybe trying to trade down and picking up some additional ammunition for next year. Uh, so they maybe could potentially move up if they're targeting one of those top quarterbacks. I know as Packer fans, we're all hoping that maybe the Dolphins or the Redskins will move up ahead of pick 12 to start having those quarterbacks go before Green Bay selects. But that certainly would make a ton of sense if they're heading in that direction. So Montez Sweat, give me a quick rundown of what he would bring to the Dolphins. Montez Sweat is... He's an athletic freak. He, you saw his, his testing. He tested really well. He, he really impressed me with his senior bowl showing. He was one of, if not the best defenders out there. I think he's going to come in uh, and immediately add to the Dolphins pass rush, something that they've been lacking at least last year, if not the last couple of years. They've got some older edge rushers that are on their way out. You saw they released one. They let Cameron Wake go to the Titans. It's it's a position of need, and I think he is the best available at that position of need in this spot. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I'm a huge Montez Sweat guy. I think he will bring a lot to the table, like you said, an absolute athletic freak, and I love that fit on the Dolphins' defense. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to make that pick today. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media, and where can we find your work? Well, for right now, I'm not... Uh, producing a whole lot of work myself, but you can follow me on Twitter at Spoonful of Sport, and you can follow the Pro Football Network at PFN365. Perfect. We will absolutely make sure to do so. Thanks so much again for taking the time. Best of luck to your Dolphins in the draft, and I hope you have a great uh, rest of this draft process. Absolutely. It's a blast. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Packaday Podcast's very own Kyle Fellows. We are on the clock with the Atlanta Falcons at pick 14. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to see where you will take this Falcons pick and what direction you'll decide to go in. Yeah, I'm super excited to do it, and I'm glad the Falcons fans are trusting me with this pick. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate it. So a lot of interesting options on the board here for the Falcons. Obviously, uh, almost all of Clemson's defensive line is there, including Clellan Farrell, Christian Wilkins, uh, the big nose tackle, Lawrence. Why can't I think of his name? Yeah, Dexter Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So obviously, Andre Dillard is here. Devin Bush is a name that could potentially come up as well. Uh, But where could the Falcons potentially head here? And what kind of area did you decide to go in when you were making this pick? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are a ton of players I think the Falcons wish would be on the board when they get the 14. And I think Ed Oliver is obviously a name that they wish was still here. Um, I think that they could uh, really value that three-tech penetrator to put next to Grady Jarrett. I think that they could like someone like Montez Sweat as a uh, successor to Vic Beasley down the line, kind of looking towards the future. Uh, But those guys are obviously already off the board. And uh, so I'm leaning towards a scenario where the Falcons will stay committed to giving their defense some help here. And I think that they will prioritize the defensive line and make that, you know, a really big point of emphasis in this draft. And I think they're going to start here with the 14th pick. And so with the 14th pick, the Atlanta Falcons are going to select Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle from Clemson. 
I like that pick a lot. I think it would be really fun to pair him with Grady Jarrett in the middle of that defense. Uh, Of course, they've got the super fast linebackers playing behind him in that style of defense that they brought over from Seattle. So I love this pick. I think it's a really, really smart pick for them. How would he kind of fit in with their defense? And how how do you think he'd fit next to Grady Jarrett and kind of cause a, a lot of problems for the NFC South moving forward? Yeah, I really think that Christian Wilkins is one of the safest picks in this entire draft. And I don't mean that sound like he only has a high floor because I really do think he has a high ceiling as well. Um, but I, I just don't think that there's any chance that Wilkins busts. And I think the Falcons are kind of in a unique position here where their roster is better than their record was in 2018. And so I think that he's someone that can plug in, play right away. He plays with great leverage, even though he's a little bit, you know, he's a longer defensive tackle and he gives you max effort on every single rep. So I love the idea of plugging him in there next to Grady Jarrett and just kind of letting him wreak havoc no matter who the ends are, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, Vic Beasley going forward, if they have Tack McKinley on the other side or whoever's on the end, I think you like the way that you feel about the inside of that team. And even on top of that, his character is just top notch. And so you get someone, you know, is going to be a leader in your locker room, provide that uh, leadership, and then also just be that disruptive force and be able to step in and play right away. So I think that they like the value they got here at pick 14. Absolutely love the pick. And when you have two penetrators, uh, you know, with Grady Jarrett and Christian Wilkins in the middle, you have Deadrin uh, Sinat, who I really liked uh, a season ago coming out of the draft, and then two speed rushers off the edge in Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley. That's going to cause a lot of problems. But more importantly, when you've got uh, Jarrett Sinat and Christian Wilkins eating blocks for Devondre Campbell and uh, Deion Jones and just allowing them to flow to the football, that's going to be a very fast penetrating defense that they're going to be able to put uh, up against the Cam Newtons and the Drew Breeses uh, of the NFC South. So love the pick. I think it makes a ton of sense and really appreciate you coming on to make that for us tonight. Kyle, tell us where we can follow you on social media and where we can find your work. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me on on Twitter and uh, just follow along as we get a little bit closer to the draft. I appreciate it greatly. You and Andrew uh, do great work on Fridays on the Pack-A-Day podcast. So for our listeners, make sure to check that out. I'm sure you're listening to them already, but thanks so much again for joining me and we'll, we'll see you soon on the podcast. With the 15th pick in the NFL draft, the Washington Redskins are officially on the clock. And joining me to discuss this pick is Zach Hicks. Zach is the senior lead writer for Stampede Blue, and he is also a contributor for the Draft Wire. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and discuss this pick. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to be part of this uh, this mock thing that you're doing here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. We've had a lot of interesting picks, and I think this might be one of the more interesting ones. So one of the things that we had discussed during the Cardinals pick in the very first pick is that this might be an action spot where if they do select Kyler Murray, maybe a deal would have already been worked out or could be worked out for the Redskins to potentially trade this pick for Josh Rosen. So before I even go any further, do you think that that's an opportunity at this spot? And if so, do you think a deal might be consummated before? the draft during the draft uh, what, how could you see this playing out yeah so obviously I'd be a really bad GM if after I saw them take Kyler Murray then I traded my first round pick for Josh Rosen just because his value just wouldn't be there as a first rounder uh, so if this deal were to take place it would probably take place uh, you know before the draft or right before the Cardinals make their pick therefore they can get like the most value they want out of uh, Josh Rosen there but yeah I think this is a great trade for the Redskins Josh Rosen's a very talented player and I, th- I just think this trade makes sense for both teams, you know, if the Cardinals are going to go with Kyler Murray and probably before they make that selection there, just so his value kind of matches with the 15th pick there. 
Perfect. So is so is it official? Do we have our very first trade of the mock draft? Are the are the Redskins trading the fifteenth pick in the draft for Josh Rosen? Yes, certainly. Because uh, the way I looked at it, I was looking at two two players here. Uh, either you know take or trade for Josh Rosen or uh, Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State. And to me, I, I just think Josh Rosen's a better overall quarterback. I think he fits uh, Jay Gruden's scheme a little bit better. Uh, so yeah, trading the fifteenth pick for Josh Rosen here. I love that decision, and I'm 100% with you that I think Rosen is the better prospect and better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. I love this trade for the Redskins, especially with the Alex Smith injury. It certainly makes a ton of sense, and I think you're getting great, great value, only having to give up the 15th pick uh, because the Cardinals decided to go in a different direction. But that does bring us to the point of now needing to select for the Arizona Cardinals. Zach, I know you know your football. I know even though you're a Redskins guy, you're a draft guy, you're an NFL guy, are you up to the task of making this pick for the Cardinals as well? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not very hard. They had the first overall pick uh, in this class, so obviously their team's not great. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely up to the task here. Perfect. So they've already, of course, taken Kyler Murray, player that's going to bring a, a lot of uh, dynamic playmaking ability. They're going to be able to team him in the backfield with David Johnson. What direction do you think they would go in? Should this situation come to fruition? Yeah, so there are definitely a bunch of ways that could go here. Uh, you know, they could go with a playmaking receiver uh, for Kyler Murray. They could go with more defense. But in my mind, uh, the number one thing that you have to be looking at, especially you spend the first overall pick on a quarterback and a small quarterback at, at that, is pairing him with a very good offensive tackle. Uh, so the selection here that I'm making for the Cardinals is Cody Ford, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Uh, I just think with his hand usage, his mobility, his size, and even familiarity with uh, Kyler Murray here because they play at the same college, I just think that'd be a great fit for them. You can solidify part of that offensive line because, uh, you know, Josh Rosen was killed last year and you don't want that same fate for Kyler Murray. So uh, get him a good offensive line and get him Cody Ford, lock down at least one position on the offensive line and keep your first overall pick uh, healthy. Yeah, I love the versatility of Ford. And I just think it would be really cool, too, to be able to bring in Kyler Murray. Obviously, he's going to uh, go first overall. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. What better way to kind of bring him into that environment, but with one of his teammates from Oklahoma and bring in his big buddy and Cody Ford as well. So love that selection and solidifying that offensive line for your new rookie quarterback makes a ton of sense. And it obviously helps David Johnson, their other playmaker as well. So I think we get a lot of win-wins here. I think we get really a win for Kyler Murray. I think we get a win for Cody Ford. I think we get a win for the Redskins and for the Cardinals. I think you are doing a phenomenal job at this GM position. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking for my promotion soon for you know, the Redskins or whoever. So uh, I appreciate the, the good wishes there. You bet. You bet. So before I let you go, I do want to ask you if the Redskins do not potentially make this pick and let's say they don't go quarterback, what are some other positions that they might be considering? I know you're the Redskins expert. So what other directions might they go in if this is not in fact a quarterback draft for them? Yeah, so uh, I, I think their top positions they got to look at here, uh, playmaker on the outside, a receiver. Uh, it's a very deep class. There's a lot of good receivers. You know, DK Metcalf might be there. Uh, even if they want to go maybe reach a little bit for like Hakeem Butler or A.J. Brown, those are some playmakers that can immediately make their offense better. Uh, but I think overall, I think it's going to be like an edge player, you know, an edge rusher. Uh, you know, if Brian Burns slips, who uh, in this draft he hasn't slipped, but in the real draft he actually might from things that we're hearing, uh, he might slip to that pick. Uh, you know, uh, Clellan Farrell out of uh, Clemson might be a good pick there. Uh, there's a lot of good options they can go, though. They're a team that, uh, you know, has a couple of little holes here and there, and it's a very uh, talented class when you get to, like, that mid-first-round range. So uh, a lot of guys they can go, but I think it's going to be more of a pass rusher or maybe a playmaker on the outside. 
Perfect. Well, this was fantastic. I'm excited. We have our first official mock draft trade. Zach, thanks so much for being part of this. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your work? Yeah. So if you guys want to follow me on social media, it's uh, at Zach Hicks too. Uh, you know, I post a lot of things on there. I'm very active on there. So just uh, hit me up on there, you know, send me questions anytime. Uh, I, I did cover the Redskins for quite a bit, but I cover the, the Colts now over at Stampede Blue. Uh, you know, a lot of my work is now centered on the Colts. So at Stampede Blue, uh, you can find my stuff there. And then also at the Draft Wire, we'll be covering a lot of we'll be covering the draft here this ne- this next weekend or whatever. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. So uh, Draft Wire, Stampede Blue or at Zach Hicks 2 on Twitter. Perfect. Zach, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of the draft season. Thanks, man. You too. All right, we are up to pick 16, and on the clock are the Carolina Panthers. Joining me to discuss the Panthers is Bill Rossetti. He is the host of the Locked On Panthers podcast. He is a writer for Panthers Wire as well as for Bengals Wire, but he's going to be helping me discuss the Panthers today. Bill, thanks so much for joining me. I am excited to talk some Panthers draft with you. Absolutely, Andy. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you bringing me on here. Really, really, uh, really going to be a great time. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it again. Let's kind of jump right in. The The board has kind of fell in an interesting way for you. Uh, certainly some players that uh, a lot of people really like still on the board, uh, including Hollywood Brown, DK Metcalf, Andre Dillard. But at this point in the draft, uh, certainly some players that have been taken that I'm sure the Panthers would have been interested in as well. Maybe before we even get to your pick, Bill, who are some players that Panthers fans are maybe hoping will fall to this pick at 16? I think a lot of the edge players are definitely on the top of the list. I, I notice a lot of fans really want an edge rusher, and it's definitely arguably one of the biggest needs for the Carolina Panthers. They need that young edge rusher. You know, they got some good ones in the rotation now, but certainly some of them are kind of on the older side. You know, Mario Addison is over 30 years old and a couple other older guys, you know, and Deshaun Hall, their draft pick from a couple of years ago, didn't exactly pan out. So they want that top elite pass rusher I think if they don't go an offensive lineman it seems like edge is really where Panthers fans really want them to go so whether that's uh, Montez Sweat or Cleveland Farrell or if say Brian Burns happens to fall to them I think they'd be fine with really any of those three because those are really the three realistic ones I think that can fall to them at 16 because obviously Bosa is not going to fall that far and Josh Allen isn't going to fall that far. Burns is a bit of a wild card, but I think Sweat could potentially be there and so can Pharrell. Obviously with uh, that edge rusher position being of such a need, uh, Pharrell is kind of sitting out there. Is that kind of the direction that you're leaning in or may it be a surprise pick? Pharrell definitely was was at the top of the list, especially after looking at the board here. You know, like you mentioned, there were some players that the Panthers could certainly consider that are already off the board. You know, Jonah Williams went off the board actually, actually pretty early in this draft. But, you know, Jonah to me is the best tackle in this class. I really like his versatility. You know, there was some talk of whether he is going to play guard or whether he can play tackle. I think he could play tackle and I think he would be uh, a really great fit for this, uh, for the Panthers offensive line. If he's available at 16, you know, with, you know, they did re-sign Darrell Williams, but he's a free agent after the season. And I don't know if he's going to be back in 2020. So if Joan is there, I think it's certainly somebody that the Panthers certainly have to consider. Uh, but Andre Diller definitely on the list as well, especially with him still being on the board. Uh, another fantastic player. You know, I got a chance to talk to him at the Combine, and you could see how he really rose from the end of last season throughout this 
pre-draft process through the senior bowl and into the combine. So I think Dillard is definitely, you know, those are probably the two favorites. And I mean, there's a couple others, you know, we could look at receiver a little bit, maybe if we wanted to, I don't know if safety is going to be an option here, but uh, in the end, it probably is going to come down to Dillard and uh, Cleveland Farrell here with sweat off the board as well. The official pick is going to be with the 16th pick, the Carolina Panthers take Cleveland Farrell the edge out of Clemson. Look, I, I just talked about Jonah Williams, and I'm a big fan of his. And he went, what, sixth, I believe, in this mock. So he went pretty high, but I think certainly well worth that pick. And Dillard, like I said, was an option. But there are some other offensive tackles that we can get in round two. Guys like Greg uh, Little might be there. Uh, I don't know if Dalton Reisner is going to be available. Or, you know, that could be somebody that maybe – the Panthers could trade up for in say round two if Reisner is there. Caleb McGarry is a round two possibility. So there are some still some guys we can get in round two. But with Cleveland Farrell still on the board here, really the last of the elite edge players, I think the Panthers have to jump on this one. For me, this this was a pretty easy pick actually. Seeing Farrell still available, I nearly sprinted to the podium. It was available. So uh, Cleveland Farrell is going to be the pick here at sixteen. Well, it certainly seems like a perfect fit for the Panthers, especially with their edge rush needs and within the division with Matt Ryan and Drew Brees. All right, Bill, thanks so much for joining me and taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. Where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Twitter at Bill underscore Rossetti. That's R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E. Locked on Panthers, Panthers Wire, Bengals Wire. Uh, So certainly be around for draft time. We'll hopefully try to get some a little more content out there and uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter and always having a good time on there. So uh, if you have any questions, just hit me up and let's, let's have some fun here, I guess, with in the next couple of weeks, right? Sounds like you're a very busy man. So I certainly appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much wow. again. And uh, certainly best of luck uh, in the draft. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you get all the players that you want. Best of luck to you with all your work, man. Really appreciate you having me on. We are up to pick 17 with the New York Giants, and this is their second selection in the draft. Of course, earlier, Dan Kotnick uh, of the Packaday podcast had already selected Jonah Williams at pick six for the Giants. And as Daniel uh, nicely mentioned, it's really tough to get in the head of Dave Gettleman and try to figure out exactly what he is going to do. But joining me now to try to do exactly that is another member of the Packaday podcast, Mike Wentlent. Mike, thank you so much for joining me and helping me to try to get inside the head of Dave Gettleman and make this selection. Election. No, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm excited to do it. And, and like you said, getting into the head of Dave Gettleman is is kind of like jumping into being John Malkovich, where you just everything's so overwhelming. It's really confusing at times. But on the other end, he did do some decent stuff at his other stops. So we'll see if there's methods to his madness with the Giants. Yeah, and, and while I, I definitely questioned uh, some of his philosophy and, and certainly taking Saquon Barkley that early a season ago, uh, certainly ending up uh, with a starting uh, left guard who was fantastic in Hernandez and then Saquon Barkley as well, may, maybe not such a bad draft after all. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Of course, in this mock, he had already taken Jonah Williams to help solidify that offensive line a little bit more. But of course, the big question in the Giants organization is who's going to take over for Eli Manning. Now the Giants could be primed for either moving up or down with those sixth or 17th picks in the draft. But in this scenario, they stayed pat at six. They're still here at 17 and they kind of have a situation in which Drew Locke is already gone. 
Um, and of course, Kyler Murray is already gone. But two of the quarterbacks that some people are thinking might go in the first round are still available there. So tell me a little bit about those two quarterbacks, what you were kind of deciding and ultimately what direction you decided to go in with the Giants. Maybe it wasn't quarterback at all. Well, with the Giants, it's so confusing because this is the pick they traded to Cleveland uh, that got rid of Odell Beckham Jr. And so I thought about maybe do they want to go for a wide receiver? Do they want to go for David like a DK Metcalf to try and bring that big-time playmaker in? And I realized that they, they – I think they want to go be build for the future. This is a team they're not really competing for a division title this year. They're not going to be trying to be a playoff team as much with with everything they're trying to do. So they're, they probably want to build to finally build up behind Eli – and Daniel Jones doesn't quite have the arm strength that you would expect. He's a very robotic. He's very, very awkward at times with his motions. And a guy like Dwayne Haskins, I think, who only started a year, could learn so much from Eli Manning. And I think learning from him and from Pat Shermer and what this team is trying to do with Saquon Barkley and with the weapons that they do have, Evan Ingram, so on and so forth, I think pairing the lineman of Jonah Williams with a young quarterback with Haskins could set this team up very well for the future. And this is a, this is a pick for 2020. But I think Dwayne Haskins is the best fit for what the Giants are trying to do at pick 17. And that could be an absolute steal at that spot. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. And I certainly think a lot of Giants fans would be really excited that not only did, you know, Dwayne Haskins fall to them at 17, but they got their quarterback, they got a top offensive lineman, and they didn't have to give up any additional capital to try to do that. So I think, again, a lot of Giants fans would be really excited about that. And finally, 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 they would have that plan in place for somebody to supplant Eli Manning down the line. And like you said, uh, you know, maybe they don't have the receivers on the roster yet to make this fully work, uh, but you're giving uh, Dwayne Haskins going into next year, a really good offensive line, a really good running back, a really impressive tight end that they can use in a variety of different ways. Uh, they'll have the offseason next year uh, to attack that wide receiver position, both via free agency trade and in the draft. They have the makings of a young, impressive offense if they could pick up Dwayne Haskins here. No, I agree. I and mean, you look at just even like Pat Shermer, look what he did with Minnesota, how he helped with guys like Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater. He can do the same thing with Haskins and maybe he'll help a resurgent Eli who could help train Haskins as well. Then you factor in, like you said, Will Hernandez and Williams on the left side of that line. It's a much uh, higher floor, lower ceiling than what Eric Flowers could have been, but it's a safer pick for all around for the Giants and that's what they need. Yeah, I think Giants fans will love the fact that it's the opposite of Eric Flowers. So uh, I think they'll like that quite a bit. I love this pick. I love uh, exactly how it fits. And it might be one of my favorite fits of any, uh, you know, mock that we've done so far in this draft. So Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we find your work? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Wemmon. It's all one word. Uh, Pretty simple, just using my name. Uh, I'm doing a lot of football and baseball takes right now. You can find my writings on Dairyland Express. I just had a roundtable doing a Packers mock draft as well. And also, you can find me broadcasting at WDUX Radio uh, in central Wisconsin. And, of course, on the Packet 8 podcast every other Saturday with Tyler Grezegorek. Perfect. I appreciate all the work that you do on the podcast. Uh, Mike is a fantastic follow and he does fantastic work uh, at Dairyland Express. So make sure to go check that out. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. And uh, of course, as always, go Pack Go. All right. We have made it to the point, the 18th pick in the draft. And of course, it is time for the Minnesota Vikings to make their selection. There are a lot of options still on the board for the Vikings. And I know that won't make a lot of Packer fans happy. But to join me to make this pick is Luke Braun. He is the host of Locked on Vikings podcast. Luke, I'm so thankful for you joining me today. I greatly appreciate it. Let's jump in and talk some Vikings draft. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, you bet. So let's start kind of looking at this board and the way that it fell to the Vikings. Before we kind of jump into that, let me just ask you, who are Vikings fans currently hoping and who are you hoping kind of falls to the Vikings at pick 18? I think the most popular guy I see is Jonah Williams. He's definitely my my favorite uh, right now in the draft. I think right now I'm seeing mostly Jaywan Taylor being the first tackle off the board. Uh, and he's going in the top 10 all the time. So he's kind of seems out of the realm of possibility. But Jonah Williams is a huge favorite. Andre Dillard's a huge favorite. Garrett Bradbury seems to be pretty popular, though people don't want to make him move to guard or make Elfline move to guard. It seems like both of those things would like go over kind of poorly. Uh, and there's a lot of people kind of standing for, for Cody Ford as well. And then outside of offensive line, uh, a lot of fans of Noah Fant, a lot of fans of Christian Wilkins, and a few trolls that want us to take another corner. So I have a question for you, and that is, you know, we've seen in this in this scenario play out where DK Metcalf is falling. Now, obviously, the Vikings have an embarrassment of riches already with uh, their two-star receivers, obviously, in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. I'm not suggesting that they take a wide receiver here. The thing that I'm more interested in is, let's say they wanted to take DK Metcalf, another Ole Miss wide receiver. Would it be a little too soon for Vikings fans to take an Ole Miss receiver uh, so quickly after Laquan Treadwell? <laughs> that that might open some old wounds. Uh, I wouldn't hate it. I, I mean, scout the scout the player, not the jersey. That's something that fellow Vikings fan and draft scout Jordan Reed preaches all the time. He's really smart about that kind of thing. Um, I, I think the reasons that Laquan Tre- Treadwell didn't pan out didn't have a lot to do with the school that he went to. And I think even though you know Diggs and Thielen are obviously going to lead the team in like market share and stuff. Uh, the, the Vikings use 11 personnel, I think, or three wide receiver sets, I think more than half the time. So it's not like we'd be wanting for get for opportunities to get that first round pick on the field. No, that makes a ton of sense. And uh, of course, you know, Packer fans have, have made some of the same mention of, well, you know, you can't take Brian Burns because Jamal Reynolds failed, which is really as ridiculous as saying they shouldn't have taken Aaron Rodgers because Kyle Bowler fell or, you know, failed. So of course, <laughs> the, the the things don't add up together uh, because one player failed at a specific college does not add up to that. But it was a, a question that I, I certainly had if this scenario would play out. But enough of that. Uh, Luke, uh, who really did you ultimately end up taking here for the Vikings and who would be a fit for them in this scenario? Yeah, so looking at the board and who was still around, a a lot of my favorite linemen were gone. Uh, So I was between Andre Dillard and Noah Fant. Noah Fant has met with the Vikings a couple times. Andre Dillard met with the Vikings. So I I think the team would be similarly torn. Um, And I I really wanted to take Fant. Uh, Kyle Rudolph is going to play in his last year of his contract. He's going to play out the contract year. Probably won't get an extension or a restructure, it sounds like. Uh, So, you know, we... We were kind of we, we have to figure out a replacement plan or a successor for him. Um, but I ultimately did the responsible thing, took the offensive lineman and went with Andre Dillard. I'm a big fan of him, I think, and I've talked about this on Locked On Vikings before. I think he's the right kind of raw, where you know he has flaws that you can work with. There are technique things that you can deal with, but the like instinctual muscle memory is there, and the production is there, and so you kind of see, all right, he's got some some technique things he doesn't do ideally, but it hasn't hurt him yet. And he's been able to, you know, put out good production and and keep the quarterback clean enough to make your, you know, to make you feel comfortable. So I went with Andre Dillard. I decided to do the safe, responsible thing and just try to get that O line short up. Uh, Riley Reef would probably kick inside to guard in this situation, which I don't love. I don't think that's a good transition for him. But 
I, I think it's better than making uh, Garrett Bradbury or Pat Elfline move to guard. I think Riley Reef probably makes that a little bit more smoothly than those guys. So I went with the O-lineman. I could certainly see that making sense. And Luke, I'll be totally transparent with you. I hate this pick because I love Andre Dillard. I absolutely love Andre Dillard. He's one of my favorite prospects in this draft. And I think you worded it perfectly that he's the right type of raw. I mean, just the the athletic tools that he possesses. Uh, I think he has the opportunity to, to grow into one of the best left tackles in all of football. So the idea of him potentially protecting the blind side of Kirk Cousins and probably even beyond that uh, for the foreseeable future, should things work out, is certainly not not something that I like to think about as a Packer fan, but I absolutely love the player. And I think you made the right decision here. Luke, before I let you go, uh, can you tell us and uh, Packer fans where we might be able to follow you on Twitter and obviously anyone that's listening to the podcast today? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Uh, you can find Locked On Vikings uh, on any podcast app out there, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere. Uh, and you can find that show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings as well. Perfect. Well, Luke, I certainly appreciate you taking the time and uh, certainly coming into to enemy territory here. I uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you and your Vikings in the draft. Uh, don't take anyone too good, but I'll, you know, maybe someone that's just in the middle so that you guys can enjoy them at least a little bit. I'll call up Spielman and tell him that. I appreciate that. Luke, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. With the 19th pick in our mock draft, the Tennessee Titans are on the clock. Of course, I had to think outside the box a little bit here, get somebody who was a big Tennessee Titans fan. I went right to the Titans Music City Miracles with Johnny Kinsley. He's the creator of the Deep Ball Project. Thanks so much for joining me, Johnny. I greatly appreciate it. Let's talk some Titans NFL draft. Let's do it. So what I want to jump into right away, Johnny, the the draft is kind of folded in an interesting matter for the Titans. We've got a lot of the top wide receivers still on the board. Uh, Devin Bush is on the board. Uh, Some really interesting options here. With the board kind of falling the way that it did, what was your kind of decision-making process for the Titans here? Well, well, considering a lot of the top pass rushers like Christian Wilkins, Ed Oliver, Quentin Williams are all off the board, and uh, Brian Burns as well. I figured that they need to go with the uh, like the the best player available, regardless of the position. And one of the needs they have is wide receiver. I'm sure we I'm sure we all know this. They have Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys, which is a nice start. Corey Davis is a pretty good vertical threat, and Adam Humphreys fits a slot role pretty well. But they also need a, ver- a vertical wide receiver that can stretch uh, downfield and uh, give the Titans someone that matches their matches the skill set of Corey Davis. I guess that makes a ton of sense from a Titans perspective. Is there a player before we kind of get to your pick that you are hoping or the Titans fans are really hoping is going to fall to the Titans at pick 19? I think from the conversations I've had with Titans fans, a lot wanted a guy like DK Metcalf or Christian Wilkins. And from my understanding, Metcalf is still available in this mock draft. Uh, Wilkins obviously was taken. Those were two guys that were uh, highly considered by uh, Titans fans I, t- I talked to. That makes a ton of sense as well. So DK Metcalf is on the board. Is that a decision that you're going to make here? Or are you going to kind of go off the script a little bit and take somebody a little bit different? I'm actually going to go off the script. I'm going with Oklahoma's Marquise Brown, which is kind which is, it's, it's kind of surprising to a lot of people because of his injury. And, uh, of course, his size has been uh, – pretty scrutinized but personally like I think he's well worth the risk he's he's kind of like a younger Deshaun Jackson he's got the speed he's got the deep receiving ability he just feels like an, an absolute game changer once you get the ball in space he's gone his style of play to me is simple but at the same time it's very deadly 
because he focuses on on speed, 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 speed. He's also a very patient route runner. He can make some very impressive adjustments on accurate throws. He's just simply an outstanding vertical threat, loads of yards after the catch. The reason I mocked him to the Titans is because I think Marcus Mariota has a very underrated deep ball. He was the sixth most accurate deep passer in my charting for the deep ball project. It was behind Andrew Locke, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, and Patrick Mahomes. Like I said before, it's an underrated part of his game, and I feel that Brown's electric skill set downfield would be a great fit in this Titans offense, especially with Corey Davis on the other side of the field, and this would allow Adam Humphreys to play a more natural slot receiving role as opposed to a straight-up wide receiver two role. No, I love that a lot. I love when teams have different flavors of wide receiver and certainly with Davis and Humphreys and Marquise Brown, that would give you three very different type of weapons and would certainly be a great use of Marcus Mariota and give him everything that he needs to be successful in that offense. Of course, on top of the incredible tight ends that you would have at your disposal as well with Delaney Walker and Johnny Smith. Love the selection there. And I will say as well that Marquise Brown, I did the Cheesehead TV draft guide. He was number one on my board for wide receivers. I broke down the entire wide receiver position and he ended up number one on my board as well. So love the pick. Before I let you go, would love to hear where we can follow you on Twitter and where we can find some of your work. Well, obviously, I am at Music City Miracles. They're at uh, Titans MCM. And I'm also a writer for dynasty league football i was recently hired a couple weeks ago for them i also write for the uh carolina panthers at the riot report the dolphins at the finsider the sister site of uh music city miracles i write for the 49ers blog 49ers hub the vikings blog per purple ptsd and i'm on twitter at brickwall blitz well it sounds like you're a very busy man thanks so much for taking the time tonight to join me greatly appreciate it and uh, good luck with your titans in the draft Joining me now to help with the 20th pick in the NFL draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers is Tony Serino. He is the host of the Locked On Steelers podcast. Tony, thank you so much for joining me for this mock draft. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to find out who your Steelers are going to be selecting. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, this this was an easy choice for me. You know, the way that this board fell down, it's it's got to be Devin Bush, the, the inside linebacker from Michigan. Uh, the, you know, the Steelers have such a needed inside linebacker after missing out last year on getting a Ryan Shazier replacement. There were four linebackers they liked last year, four linebackers taken in the first round. The Steelers missed out on all four. This year, if they, if they can get Devin Bush, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved up to get him. So him being there at 20 is, is fantastic. Now, you know, DK Metcalf still being on the board, Hakeem Butler still being on the board. The Steelers need a wide receiver to replace Antonio Brown and passing on DK Metcalf, passing on Hakeem Butler, two big body receivers, but extremely fast as well. That's going to be tough but they got to get their inside linebacker. So easy choice for me. It's Devin Bush from Michigan. Yeah, I thought so as well. I think this is kind of a no-brainer decision. It seems to be kind of one of the worst-kept secrets that it seems the Steelers are very interested in the the inside linebacker position with both the Devons. And this just seems like you said, an absolutely no-brainer. There have been a a few picks that have surprised me. This is the one that uh, when you were coming up on the clock, I'm like, this has got to be Devin Bush and uh, certainly no surprise there. You you mentioned a couple of the receivers. Obviously, there's kind of been some uh, drama in the Steelers receiver room in this offseason. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, to say the least. how do you think a, a receiver would fit in in that locker room and uh, how would they be able to be utilized in that offense if they did go in that direction? Well, it's interesting because the Steelers still need another outside receiver. So they signed Dante Moncrief in free agency and he can come in and be a spot starter, I think, for this offense. But they still need someone to play the outside alongside you know, Juju and James Washington, their second round pick 
from a year ago. You know, Juju's better in the slot. So he can play on the outside, but I think the Steelers want to use him as that big slot type receiver. So if the Steelers can get someone who can play on the outside, who can be dominant on the outside, someone who can command, look, not the type of respect that Antonio Brown did, because no one's going to do that as a rookie, but just someone who defenses have to pay attention to so they're not double-teaming Juju on every play. That's the big worry that the Steelers are going to have going into 2019 is that defenses and secondaries are going to key on Juju and make everyone else beat them. And so if they can get another quality outside receiver, that's where they need to go. I just don't think they can pass on Devin Bush here in the first round. So yeah, like I said, it's tough for them to pass on DK Metcalf, tough for them to pass on Hakeem Butler, but yeah, they, they need an inside linebacker to replace Ryan Shazier. I think needless to say, if the, the Steelers are on the on the clock and Devin Bush and DK Metcalf are both there and Hakeem Butler as well, I think the Steelers will be a very happy franchise as well as their fans. Yeah, they'll they'll be they'll be sprinting to the podium to make that announcement. Absolutely. Tony, I appreciate your time so much. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we find your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeler Country. And you can find me on the Locked On Steelers podcast. All right. Thanks so much again for joining me. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to your Steelers in the draft. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. We are cruising right along and 20 picks have already been made. Just to give you a quick recap before we get to pick 21. With pick number one, the Cardinals selected Kyler Murray, followed by Nick Bosa to the 49ers, Brian Burns to the Jets, Quinn and Williams to the Raiders, Josh Allen to the Buccaneers, Jonah Williams to the Giants, Jawan Taylor to the Jaguars, Ed Oliver to the Lions, TJ Hawkinson to the Bills in rounding out the top 10 was Drew Locke to the Broncos. At pick 11, the Cincinnati Bengals selected Devin White. Greedy Williams then went to the Packers. Montez Sweat went to the Dolphins. Christian Wilkins went to the Falcons. We had our first trade as the Redskins traded for Josh Rosen from the Cardinals. The Cardinals at pick 15 then selected Cody Ford. Cleland Farrell went to the Panthers. Dwayne Haskins went to the Giants. Andre Dillard to the Vikings. Hollywood Brown to the Titans. And and finally, Devin Bush at pick 20 to the Steelers. With that, we are now on the clock with the Seattle Seahawks at pick number 21. We are already up to pick 21 with the Seattle Seahawks. And joining me right now is Carter Donick. He is a Seattle Seahawks fan and NFL draft guru. He has his very own NFL draft guide coming out on April 21st, and it will cost you all of absolutely nothing to purchase it. He is doing it free of charge, over 250 prospects ranked. Carter, thank you so much for joining me and talking some Seahawks football and draft strategy with me. Thanks for having me. Always willing to talk Seahawks ball. <laughs> I appreciate it. So uh, first and foremost, this is based off of the, the national media. This is obviously the draft where the Seahawks trade Russell Wilson, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Well, I, I can't see. I can't wait to see where he ends up on draft day. But in all seriousness, obviously, we're talking pick 21 here. Uh, a lot of prospects that I'm sure the Seahawks were interested in are probably off the board at this point. Some interesting players that have fallen, kind of like Rayshon Gary, DK Metcalf, Byron Murphy. But before we get into your specific pick, what are Seahawks fans really hoping for here? And maybe who's somebody that you're hoping falls to the Seahawks at pick 21? Well, I'm going to cheat the system here for my first pick because it's not really a pick at all, and it's a trade-down scenario. Um, because when people look at this draft class, Seattle only has four picks, and that is by far the lightest of any team in the draft. Um, and John Schneider, our GM, always likes to trade down. We've done so the last couple of drafts as well, picking up picks. So I think that would be an ideal scenario where we trade down either to the back of round one or into round two. Maybe a team who needs who wants that fifth-year option on a quarterback comes up. So I think that is probably the most likely and probably best outcome come April 25th. 
Um, but obviously in this is in this scenario, uh, we're just taking a guy at 21. Excellent. And it's a really interesting thing that you bring up. Obviously this is a Packers driven mock draft and the Packers are sitting at pick 30 and there are some really interesting prospects on the board that the Packers might consider, uh, whether it be a Dalton Reisner, whether it be a Rayshon Gary, uh, maybe a DK Metcalf. And of course, Noah Fant, who a lot of Packer fans are really high on now with being only, you know, eight, nine picks away and having multiple guys still on the board, maybe Brian Gutekunst isn't super aggressive in trying to trade up at this point. But if he's in love with one of those players and the Seahawks are looking to pick up more picks, certainly could be an interesting trade partner there. And again, important to note too, John Schneider has some Packers roots. So there's a connection. There's a baseline there. I know last year they were the ones who traded up for Jair Alexander into the Seahawks spot so they could do something similar this year. Absolutely. That would not surprise me one bit. In this scenario, however, Carter, who were you kind of thinking that the Seahawks might select based off of how the board fell? Now you've mentioned some guys, Metcalf, Murphy, Fant, all some good options, all I'd have no hesitation, no no problems with picking here. But I went with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety slash corner from Florida. Um, I think his versatility and his athletic mold really just speak to what Pete Carroll and the Seahawks team is all about. Losing Earl Thomas and losing Justin Coleman uh, in this defensive backfield has created some massive holes there. He can plug in and play right away, whether it be at single high safety or at the nickel position. And I think he's a, he's a round one player any day of the week. I think that makes a ton of sense. And the thing I think you hit on perfectly and how it would fit so well within that Seahawks defense is just that versatility coming in, potentially being uh, either that safety, playing a little bit in the slot. I think he can do a variety of different things. Certainly a player that I really, really like and would not shock me if he went off the board in the top 25 and specifically here to pick 21 of the Seahawks. For sure. His stock is looking like it's rising recently. Um, He's kind of the consensus has taken over as the consensus safety one on most boards. And with that kind of being the consensus there, I'd be kind of highly shocked if he falls out of that top 30 or top 25 range. That would seem to make sense. Carter, thank you so much for joining me and talking some Seahawks football. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your draft guide? Uh, So at CDON Scouting, C-D-O-N Scouting on Twitter, you can find me. And my draft guide, I'll have a link posted on my Twitter, and it will be available via PDF on April 21st. Perfect. Well, can't wait to see that. Thanks so much for all the draft work that you're doing, and I appreciate you stopping by. Appreciate it. Go Packers. All right, we are now on the clock with the Baltimore Ravens at pick 22. And joining me to make this pick is Lindsay OK. She is a NFL blogger for lindsayok.com. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and make this pick for the Ravens. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the Ravens have a lot of potential options here. Uh, there's some really big names that are still on the board, like a DK Metcalf or a Sean Gary, a Dalton Reisner, AJ Brown. What type of direction do you think that the Ravens might look to go should this situation play out? So technically speaking, I wouldn't, if we were doing like a, like a real mock draft, I would definitely not count them out to trade down. Um, that's usually what they like to do. And I can definitely see them doing that there, especially with this draft. A lot of the positions that they need, you can get really good talent later. So that's definitely a potential thing for them to do. I would think I would stray away from them going offense, especially this early. So that's something I'm talking like offensive weapons, like wide receivers. I don't see them picking one that early. The last time they did that, it didn't really pan out for them. So I'm talking about Brashad Perriman here. So yeah, I see them kind of sticking to their guns a little bit as far as this draft goes. 
It's interesting that you bring up the trade option because, of course, you're here picking at 22. The Packers pick at uh, pick 30. So if Green Bay maybe has a player in mind, maybe like a Noah Fant, uh, maybe like a DK Metcalf at this point, a Rayshon Gary, a Dalton Reisner, if they're potentially looking to move up in a scenario like this, maybe the Ravens and Packers could actually be uh, kind of trade partners in this type of scenario. Yeah, I mean, totally. Exactly like like you were saying, I think if a certain team calls them and said, hey, we want this player. We're afraid the team after you might take them. We want them. I definitely see Eric DaCosta being like, good. What pick are you giving me? Done and done. Perfect. So that could certainly be a scenario we would see play out on draft day. But in this situation, Lindsay, the Ravens are picking at 22. So who ultimately would be the pick here for the Ravens? I am going the center, Garrett Bradbury here. Awesome. I love Garrett Bradbury, one of my favorite players in this draft. I think when you kind of watch him, he just jumps off the tape for his athleticism, how he can get to the second level. He just, Everything he does just looks so natural. And you and I were kind of talking offline a little bit how it seems like it's been forever since the Ravens have had a stalwart in the center of that offensive line. And this would certainly seemingly solve that problem. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you were the one that mentioned Matt Burke. They haven't had a solid guy at that position since Matt Burke and Matt Burke feels like that was 20 years ago, even though it wasn't. They let, they had um, Ryan Jensen for a while and they kind of let him walk and they never really replaced him. So that's kind of something that I've been looking at. I've been saying the Ravens need a center for years and this year I feel like they could actually do it. They really need a guy in the middle, especially with Lamar Jackson. If they want him to do anything, they kind of have to have that guy there. And Garrett Bradbury is kind of a guy that he has great blocking and his scheme would fit perfectly. No, I totally agree. And, and like you said, it certainly seems like a position of need, an area that they could fill. And this absolutely seems like the the, the type of uh, position that Garrett Bradbury would go in the early to mid-20s. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens would get an absolutely great player to stick on their team, I think, for the next decade or so, again, in the center of that offensive line. Lindsay, thank you so much for making that pick. Before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your work? You can find me on my website. I'm actually, I think I might be going to the draft this year. So we'll see. I went, the last time I went was Philadelphia. It was a lot of fun. So you can definitely check me out on lindsayok.com or on Instagram or Twitter at lindsayok with two Y's. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much again for coming. Enjoy the draft. I'm hoping to hit up next year in Vegas and go to my first draft next year. So I hope you enjoy it this year and uh, certainly good luck uh, to the entire draft process for you. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Thank you. Joining me now for pick 23 with the Houston Texans is Mark Lane. Mark is the managing editor of the Texans Wire, and he's also a Cowboys writer for WFAA Sports. Mark, thank you so much for joining me to talk some Houston Texans football. Yeah, Andy, it's good to be with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, obviously we've had some interesting picks up into this point. Uh, the Texans are on the board. There's some really intriguing options, including a DK Metcalf or Rashawn Gary, AJ Brown, Byron Murphy. What direction were you kind of looking for here? And maybe more importantly than that, what's a, a couple positions in need for the Texans that they might be trying to address here? Cornerback, because you've got Jonathan Joseph, who's going to be 35 years old, entering his 14th professional season, and so they they need to find his successor, if you will, as well as address the loss of Kareem Jackson, which they kind of did with Bradley Roby, but then Kevin Johnson, who was their first-round pick from 2015, who they cut due to concussion problems this offseason. So they need to address that. Safety, you've got a veteran in Tayshawn Gibson, but you've got a really 
young, dynamic leader in Justin Reed. Maybe you could pair him with with a young safety duo, and then that way you you have Reed and then that young safety going forward, and that's taken care of. Uh, you could even go running back. You could even go running back because Lamar Miller is on the last year of his contract. Dante Foreman, he had the uh, Achilles tear in 2017 that summarily ended his rookie season. He only played two games in 2018 as he was recovering from that. That's how long the rehab took. And they also said they didn't have a place for him. So you could get a feature back, boom, have it taken care of by going running back. But an area of concern for the Texans, and it has been for I would say the past three seasons, has been the offensive line. And if I'm making the pick at 23, I'm going with offensive line. I could see that definitely making a ton of sense. Certainly would seem like there would be one major option uh, that would potentially go at this point in the draft in the offensive line. That would potentially be a Dalton Reisner. Uh, You maybe could go guard at Chris Lindstrom as well. Uh, Is there a player that you think that they might target here at 23? Really, I think who they're going to take is is the tackle from Ole Miss, Greg Little. That's someone who I've seen when everything, when I, when I look at the mock drafts and also the interest that they have, I think they would go Greg Little. But who I think they, they should take, according to what's happened in this particular mock draft, I would go with Dal- Dalton Reisner. Uh, that's who I think they should take out of Kansas State because he's a good pass protector. He's 6'5", 300 pounds. You can put him at left tackle, and he can challenge Julian Davenport, Martinez Rankin for that spot since they've got right tackle taken care of with Chantrell Henderson, at least for this season. Also, from the interactions that I've had with Reisner at the Senior Bowl, and at the combine, he is he he comes off as an affable individual. Um, since he'd be low on the totem totem pole, and the rookie, he would relish the role of having to prove himself to the veterans, which I think makes for a great leader in the locker room later on down the road. So I would go with Reisner. Awesome. Well, I certainly love that pick, and I know there would certainly be a handful of Packer fans, to say the least, that would be bummed to see him go before the Packers would have the opportunity to pick him at pick 30. I think he would be a really nice piece to help solidify that offensive line and help uh, to continue in the progression, uh, obviously, for Deshaun Watson there at quarterback. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me, Mark. Uh, Before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your work? At the real Mark Lane on Twitter and find all of my Texans content at texanswire.com. Perfect. Well, thanks so much again for taking the time. Best of luck to your Texans in the draft, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Joining me right now is Owen Reese. We are set to make the 24th selection for the Oakland Raiders. Oakland, of course, has already selected uh, Quinnen Williams from Alabama with pick four. Andrew Murtag was nice enough to make that pick for us. But Owen, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, uh, you are a writer for Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Uh, You've done a ton of draft work, and I I think you've done a lot of different podcasts, including our Pack-A-Day podcast. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, talking some Raiders draft with me. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, certainly kind of a 
a whirlwind here, uh, only a couple weeks left, and then we can start talking about uh, who's going to go first overall on uh, April 30th and make me want to jump off a roof, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's such a fun time. There's so much hope uh, in this process right now. And then, of course, you get to the draft. Some people will excite you, some will disappoint you, and then you kind of get to unwrap all of those and kind of break down the tape even more a little bit after on the, on the picks that your favorite team made. So it's just such a fun process. I appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are. But uh, as I mentioned, the Raiders are, have already selected Quinn and Williams in this draft. Uh, where might they be looking for or what position might, might they be looking at for their second pick here? And who are some players that they might be considering? Well, I think the Raiders are uh, in a bit of an odd to, uh, spot. Um, so they took Quinn and Williams, right? So that's the best player available approach. However, I would probably argue that defensive tackle might be the position that they need the least on the roster. Uh, so I think uh, while you certainly don't want to just draft for need, I think that's certainly something that needs to be considered. Uh, moving forward here, I think that we discussed uh, just for a bit before the show, I think Mike Mayock and John Gruden are going to want to bring in like culture guys. I think they're going to want to bring in, you know, they're, you know, this guy looks like a Raider uh, <laughs> thing. And um, so I think they could use some help pretty much all over, I would say, other than really in the uh, the, uh, the defensive tackle spot. Um, you know, they traded Kalachio Semele. Uh, this off season, so they could look on the offensive line. I think they're going to want to continue until they get rid of Derek Carr. I'm going with the assumption that they're going to continue to build around him and, and give him some more help. So I think tight end could be a spot there. I know they traded Amani Cooper as well. So obviously wide receiver is also a position that they think they could consider. But um, you know, I think they're kind of in a spot where they've got so many holes that that they don't necessarily need to to zone in on just one. I think they can kind of continue and keep that BPA approach and kind of look for their guys that they think are kind of going to set the tone for their franchise. Interesting. So you mentioned offensive line and that maybe being a, a potential need here. Unfortunately, in this mock for the Raiders, Garrett Bradbury and Dalton Reisner go two picks right before the Raiders select. So with that being said, maybe there's not that ideal prospect. You could go maybe Chris Lindstrom here, but ultimately where did you decide to go with this Raiders pick? So ultimately, I decided to go with a pick that uh, I did not just talk about. To me, with the 24th pick, the Oakland Raiders will select Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama. Uh, To me, he epitomizes what they're going to be looking for. I know he, uh, to me, reminds me a lot of like a younger Frank Gore. Uh, He's not going to be a super flashy guy, but he runs extremely hard. He's extremely durable and dependable. And to me, I think in this running back class, which really lacks a, a spearhead guy or a top of the pile guy, Jacobs is a a big culture guy. He's got a great personal story, you know, didn't have a ton growing up and was kind of under the radar before kind of latching onto Alabama at the last second and uh, kind of made the most of it was in a a busy running back room and sat behind Derrick Henry and Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough and a bunch of other NFL backs. But uh, to me, he's a guy, he's got great work ethic. He's a good character guy. He's a tough guy. uh, and, And he's arguably the top running back in the class. So uh, you, 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 John Gruden, uh, as he mentioned in his opening press conference last year, he wants to take the game back to 1998. I think they want to run the ball a lot. And, and like you said, with, with guys like Dalton Reisner or Cody Ford being other, those are the types of guys I think they're probably looking for. Uh, but, but with those guys kind of gone, I think that, that Jacobs is a, a, an easy pick for them. They've still got another first round pick and a couple picks. So, you know, they can, they can still address other spots, but, but to me, Josh Jacobs makes a lot of sense. And, and while a lot of people are very against taking running backs in the first round, I, I very highly doubt that John Gruden and Mike Mayock are among those people. And I think that, you know, with, with three first round picks, I think it's, 
maybe mitigate some of the risk that that it would normally carry with uh, only one first round pick taking it back in the first round. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, as you mentioned, I'm not sure that they're going to be in the camp of not take running back round one. I'm certainly a no running back round one kind of guy. But I will say when you've got a Derek Carr at quarterback and you need to kind of jumpstart that offense and you maybe need to take a little bit of a load off of him, having a guy like Josh Jacobs on that offense is certainly going to make his life a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that would like to me, there's there's three or four quarterbacks in the league that you can truly like let them or depend on them to put the offense on their back. Uh, and, and outside of that, and I don't think it's a slight at any of the other quarterbacks, but I think outside of that, it's not nearly as uh, much of a indictment on you or it's not so much. Um, I guess I'm trying to think how to word this. Twitter would make you think that running the ball is bad. And I think that that's a huge way to benefit your quarterback. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's how you want to finish football games, your four minute offense and running the ball seems to have, began to have this negative connotation when really it can be extremely beneficial to your ball club and, you know, a big to your identity. I'm sure the Cowboys uh, aren't sad that they have Ezekiel Elliott on their roster and and they cater to that. Dak Prescott's probably a quarterback I would put in that Derek Carr realm, um, you know, where they're, they're not going to carry the offense. So anything you can do to help them and uh, help the offensive line, you know, adding talent in the backfield that never hurts. I couldn't agree more. Oh, and before I let you go, first of all, thanks so much for making that pick. Uh, but second of all, where can we follow you and where can we find your work? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Reese Draft. It's R-I-E-S-E is my last name and then the, the word draft. Uh, I write for Bucky's Fifth Quarter uh, for the SB Nation site there. I do a lot of, I'll be doing uh, Badger specific scouting reports there. And I'll done the last few years, I've done like a Badger mock draft. Uh, where the Badger kids are kind of projected to go. That's always a lot of fun uh, seeing how wrong I am on that. Uh, And then, yeah, I uh, checked me out. I had a lot of fun doing the uh, interior offensive line and punters for the Cheesehead TV draft guide. So make sure to check that out out, uh, if you haven't already. And yeah, I don't know, mostly I uh, kind of a man without a home for the most part Uh, for draft stuff. Now it's having a full-time job doesn't cater to this, but uh, having a lot of fun with it and kind of peep me on the timeline. I, I, I fire takes off. Uh, at random and and from the hip sometimes but yeah it's mostly where you can find me I guess is just kind of on the timeline and and uh hoping the Packers take good players me too me too well Ellen thanks so much again for taking the time really really appreciate it appreciate all the work that you've done on the Pack-A-Day podcast for us during draft season Uh, we'll definitely touch base soon you bet man appreciate it thank you All right, we are on the clock with pick number 25 in the Philadelphia Eagles. And joining me to talk some Philadelphia Eagles draft is Mark Eckel. Mark is a former beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, he is a writer for Bob McGinn Football and also a regular here on the Pack-A-Day podcast. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to join me and talking about some Eagles draft. Yeah, well, you know, like uh, like I uh, joked with you, you know, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter how hard I try, it always go, it always goes back to the Eagles for me. We 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 really you right back in as soon as you think you're out. No, I said it's just like the mob, right? Every time I'm out, they pull me back in. Absolutely, and I knew you'd have a wealth of information and knowledge on the Eagles to go back on. So I think you're definitely the right person to be making the pick. So before we kind of jump into to actually make the selection, who are some players that the Eagles might be considering here, and who are you kind of ultimately deciding between? Okay, well, it basically came down. I, I think the Eagles at 25 will draft either an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. I mean, that's that's been kind of their mantra through the years. They they like to build from the lines out. A lot they Running back is a need for them, but they won't take a running back in the first round. 
They'll, they'll get one, but probably in the third round. Well, they don't have a third round pick. So maybe with one of their twos or even in a fourth, they, they seem to wait on running backs and, it, and it's worked well for them through the years. Uh, but they, they like offensive linemen, defensive linemen. So I think they'll take the best available lineman at that pick. And the way our draft has gone, that best available lineman to me looks, I, I was, I, I went back and forth between, uh, Gary from, from Michigan and uh, Tillery from, from Notre Dame. And then I thought about it for a moment. And I said, I don't remember the Eagles ever taking a kid from Notre Dame in the first round of the draft, ever. So, or, or many people at all from Notre Dame. I think they have Bobby Taylor in the second round of 95. Uh, Alan Rossum, who later became a Packer in the third round of like 97. And I don't remember. I'm like, okay, well, they're not taking the Notre Dame kid. Then. They're, they're going to take the kid from Michigan. They, they did well a few years ago with a defensive lineman from, from Michigan, Brandon Graham. If Gary makes it to twenty five, I which I'm not sure it's really going to happen, but if it does, I think he'll 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 be a Philadelphia Eagle. It just feels like such a Philadelphia Eagles pick to add another ultra talented defensive lineman. Uh, again, he has some versatility; could play a little on the outside, could play a little on the inside. They like guys like that, they really yeah. Do. It just seems like such an Eagles pick. Yeah, I think he's a good fit for them. Through the years, Howie Roseman, since he's been back in charge, and even be. Before that, they 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 generally tend to, especially with their first round picks. Now they'll, later on, they'll 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 throw some darts and take some chances. But the first round pick, they usually go to a power type school. Uh, Lane Johnson from Oklahoma, Nelson Aguilar from USC. They don't they're not the kind of team that usually takes a kid from a small school in the first round. So Michigan fits their their mold as well. Uh, like I said, versatile defensive linemen. They, they like to they like to rotate. Jim Jim Schwartz, the defense coordinator, he'll he'll play eight linemen a game. I mean, he he has no problems put you know rotating those guys in and out. And um, they did lose uh, Tim Jernigan this this off season. They they did sign M- Malik Jackson, but they they need a little depth. Uh, not to re- re- retired, so they 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 could use another you know defensive lineman to rotate in there with with Fletcher Cox and and Jackson inside and then outside they have. Um, uh, Brandon Graham and uh, Bar- Barnett, but again, Gary can rotate right in there. He'll he'll get if if that was the pick, he he would get a lot of playing time as a rookie. Yeah, I, th- I certainly think it, it makes a ton of sense and would just certainly make that front four for them that much more dangerous. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can we find you on Twitter and where can we find your work? Mark Eccles zero eight on on Twitter. Uh, Bob McGinn football. And if you're if you're looking for draft stuff, I don't know of a better. So Bob does ridiculous amounts of draft stuff. He's been, I mean, if you followed him for years in the, in the, in the newspaper, he's doing the same stuff on, on Bob McGinn football. Uh, the draft series begins uh, April 17th. He'll have his in-depth p- position by position. Look, I'll help out where I can with them. I, I usually, I'm like his editor. I read the stuff and put a headline on it for him and stuff, but that that's the place to go. Also, I, I also been writing lately for bettersinsider.com. Um, doing some NASCAR because I live down south now. So um, I'm the NASCAR guy. Perfect. Well, I know uh, Bob does amazing work during the draft and his top 100 board is, is must read every single year. So like 99 out of 100 some years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So we'll definitely make sure to check that out. Thanks so much again for taking Thank the time you. and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.
We are up to number 26 in our mock draft, and the Indianapolis Colts are set to make their selection. And joining me is Packaday Podcast very own Tyler Grezegorik. He is our resident Indianapolis Colts guru. He is also a writer for the Lombardi Lounge. Tyler, I am excited to see who you are going to be making this pick for for the Colts. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm incredibly excited to be here. And anytime I have a chance to get involved with a, a mock draft, regardless of what team I'm I'm incredibly stoked to to do so perfect well we're excited to have you and uh, like i said i'm excited to see uh, who you might select here for the colts it's obviously an up-and-coming team Uh, they had a fantastic season a year ago and they definitely seem like a team that's on the up and up they have a trillion dollars in cap space Uh, they went out and spent some money in free agency but they are definitely set up for long-term success before we get to your actual selection where are some holes in this team that they might be looking to address well, I think the most obvious hole, and even though they just acquired Devin Funches in free agency, uh, it's going to be receiver. Uh, last year they had Chester Rogers and Ryan Grant both starting, um, playing significant snaps aside from T.Y. Hilton. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's not getting any younger. You know, this team is looking to make a push. And as far as I can remember, the head coach and the offensive coordinator, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, respectively, have had good groups of wide receivers. uh, And I think that that's somewhere that they're going to be looking to address relatively early in this draft. Uh, Interior defensive line, a linebacker, maybe safety, maybe a running back, but you know, they've, they've got a lot of youth and I know that they've got a lot of youth that they're excited about. So it's, it's kind of hard to say exactly what they're looking at, but I would probably say wide receiver and interior defensive line are the two and then closely followed by edge are their three biggest needs. Well, at that wide receiver and interior defensive line position, you're definitely in an interesting spot here. At wide receiver, at this point, only Hollywood Brown has gone. You've got players like DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, Hakeem Butler, Debo Samuel, and Nikhil Harry, all still available at this spot. And then that defensive interior position, uh, definitely some you know two bigger names still left on the board in Dexter Lawrence and Jerry Tillery. So uh, uh, some good options for a team that needs wide receivers and defensive interior. Uh, ultimately, though, where would the Colts go should the board end up this way? You know, Jerry Tillery, to me, is incredibly intriguing. He's actually very, very high in my my personal big board. I have him as a top 10 prospect. That's how much I, I just love his play style and what he brings to what he would bring to your team from the interior. And he's, he's one of the best pass rushers, if not the best pass rusher from the interior in this draft. And But I got to look at the wide receiver position here, even though it's it's so deep and they could probably get one of these guys in the second round. I think that the prospect of Enkil Harry sitting there staring them in the face uh, is too too intriguing to pass up. He he fits their culture, what they're looking for in a guy uh, to come into their team. He's a team player. Uh, speaking from personal experience here at ASU, it, the community loved him. Everybody loved him. I don't think anybody I've read a bad word to say about him. It includes coaches, fellow players, staff members of the athletic department. Everybody that interacted with Enkil Harry thought he was the he was the nicest guy in the world, and he, he's all about his community and all about family and all about his team, and so he kind of fits what they're looking for there. And schematically, he, he can play all over the line of scrimmage. He can play inside, outside, and so the Colts' offense is predicated on running short and medium pass routes, as evidence, you know, from the time with Frank Reich and the Eagles, and. That is especially where Enkil Harry excels. That's his best part of his game. Uh, when, he's, when he's on his game, he's making things happen there. And 
you know, I, I think that he would really thrive in that offense. Yeah, I think so too. And certainly a, a great compliment uh, to T.Y. Hilton, who's obviously going to be that speed guy. And if T.Y. Hilton can take the, take the top off of defenses, which we know he can, it's certainly going to open those underneath routes up. And that's like you said, where Nikhil Harry can really uh, kind of open things up and be such a successful player. I think this is a perfect fit for scheme and uh, what, you know, what Indianapolis would be looking for and what Nikhil Harry can bring to the table. You add in an Eric Ebron and a Marlon Mack. Obviously, Andrew Luck at quarterback, Devin Funches. You start having the weapons that this team really needs to be successful. And I think it, it could really help, uh, you know, Indianapolis take that next step in, in 2019 and 2020. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, I don't know how close they are to becoming a Super Bowl caliber winning team. I can tell you that they were obviously in the wild card game. They won that game. You know, this is this team is no fluke. And uh, they're just going to get better. I don't know if they're ever going to spend a ton of money in free agency. I believe general manager Chris Ballard is holding on to that money to pay his guys in-house when they become eligible to get that money. But, I mean, the way that he's addressing this roster right now is nearly perfect roster building. And he's got depth and future and youth and everything you're looking for in a roster. He certainly does. So I think this is a perfect pick. Tyler, great job. I'm excited to see how the rest of the draft turns out. And I know you're both excited for the Packers and the Colts uh, and seeing how their drafts turn out. So I certainly wish you best of luck with both of those teams. Before I let you go, where can we find you on Twitter and where can we find your work outside of, of course, the tremendous work you do on the Packaday podcast? You can find my work on mostly on Twitter uh, at Tyler underscore Grez. I'm on there probably way too much talking about football and draft stuff, but um, I'm always on there. So if you're following a bunch of other Packer writers, you'll probably see me commenting or interacting with them. Um, make sure you check out. Uh, all the articles I post and all the little studies I do. We will definitely do so. Of course, you can usually find Tyler on every other Saturday with Mike Wentland on the Packaday podcast. You can also find him in the Cheesehead TV draft guide, which if you haven't picked that up as of yet, make sure to go out and do so. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time. Best of luck throughout the draft process. I know we'll be talking again soon. Uh, in the meantime, like I said, enjoy the draft. Joining me now is Packaday Podcast and Cheesehead TV's very own Ross Uglum. Ross is going to be joining me to make the Raiders selection at pick 27. Of course, this is their third selection of this mock draft. Uh, they already picked Quinn and Williams at pick four via Andrew Murtag. They already picked Josh Jacobs via pick 24 and Owen Reese. And now Ross is on the clock at pick 27. And Ross, first of all, thanks so much for joining me. Second of all, who are some players here that the Raiders might be considering keeping in mind that, of course, they've already taken Quinton Williams and Josh Jacobs. Sure. So I think, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a blank slate because, you, you know, you definitely are uh, rebuilding, I think, at this point, especially after the Mac trade. And I, I think the Antonio Brown trade kind of confuses people because that's not necessarily like a rebuilding type of move, but there are still... I think real roster questions, you know, that, that, that need to be answered with, with this club. I think the guys that you're looking at here certainly would be like a Noah Fant. I think you'd have to at least have the conversation with because Jared Cook left. You can always use interior help. Uh, you can you can look at pass rush help. I mean, they don't have Khalil Mack anymore. So a, a guy like, you know, Jerry Tillery on the outside, as far as edge rush, uh, Chase Winovich would be probably the next guy on my board. I would assume that the uh, the top five guys are are gone. So so that's something you know that you would be looking at. 
And then, you know, the guy that I, I guess that I would take, or if that's kind of the next question, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of stick to my board. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, whomever, uh, you know, is listening to this, it's my pinned tweet. My top 300 is my pinned tweet. You can draft off of it um, on fan speak right now. And I, I'm going to go ahead and, and guess that uh, the certainly the highest guy available right now is my number 12 overall player, uh, DK Metcalf. And I think when you make a decision to acquire a guy like Antonio Brown, you're making kind of a, an effort to stylize your offense around whatever he's doing. And, and Gruden certainly, uh, I, I think, you know, could – He's, he likes to throw the ball. He loves quarterbacks. He loves, you know, the passing offense. And so pairing uh, Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown with a true freak of nature uh, like DK, I think really kind of sets you up, especially you've, you've taken really top-end guys um, at, at either position. I, I would, it wouldn't be caught dead taking a running back in the first round, but um, I didn't have the Raiders' first pick. With that said, you know, they took my RB1, and I think most people's RB1 in Jacobs, and they definitely took my overall top player in the draft with with um, with Quinnen. Um, that's my guy. I think he is, you know, the best player in this draft. And for them to get RB1, D-lineman one, and then be able to select my top receiver – Anytime you come out of the draft with three guys at their position at the top level, I think that's a big deal. And and that is what I believe we've accomplished, you know, with this Oakland pick. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think this, you know, offseason, uh, assuming this would come to fruition, of course, would really be uh, finding all of the things that Derek Carr would potentially need to be successful. A DK Metcalf, an Antonio Brown, a Tyrell Williams, a Josh Jacobs. They're really giving him all the ammunition possible to be successful and kind of giving him that opportunity to shine. And at this point, if he does not shine, then it's obviously time to go in another direction. So I think they're trying to do everything they can to make that happen. And I think that's why I really like uh, well again I'm with you I'm not I'm not team running back round one I still can see why that would potentially make sense for the Raiders and I think adding DK Metcalf and Josh Jacobs would provide those weapons for Carr going forward right and and, I mean you kind of nailed it the the point is to see if it's Derek Carr because you want to figure out if this is what you want to do moving forward and I think they have 2020 ammo from the bears at the very least, if they haven't somehow bamboozled somebody else out of picks. So, you know, in, in general, I would say if car is bad, they're going to be bad. So you're going to have a high pick. You're going to have extra, at least one extra pick, I believe from Chicago to be able to make a move up and, and really, you know, get into next year's quarterback class uh, with, with Tua and with Herbert and, uh, you know, some of the other guys that are being talked about in that class, guys that will certainly emerge throughout college football next season. And, and you can sort of prepare yourself then for the post Derek Carr era. Totally makes a ton of sense. I really like this draft for the Raiders. Like you said, they come out with probably player number one, running back number one, and probably receiver number one as well. Ross, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Love all the work that you do on the podcast and with the Cheesehead TV draft guide, Cheesehead TV in general. Uh, You're doing phenomenal work. And uh, where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we find the rest of your work? 
Yeah, just at Ross Uglum, uh, my first and last name. No dots, no underscores, no nothing. <laughs> uh, I, I am uh, covering North Dakota State Athletics for Bison Report of the 24-7 Network and actually in print media with Bison Illustrated. I uh, cover Kansas State for 24-7 at Go Powercat. And then, oh, uh, you know, you can find all of, of my work now full-time at Cheesehead TV. That is my uh, only current Packers outlet for the written word. Otherwise, um, I host the War Room podcast that is hosted on iTunes and on uh, the Packers Top Network that we have a just fantastic guest uh, coming coming out this week. We have former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker to break down this year's class of corners last week to break down the linebackers or discuss the linebackers. We have pro prospect Blake Cashman. This has been uh, easily the most star studded show lineup that we've had since the inception of war room. Awesome. Well, you're doing great work. I appreciate all that you're doing for the podcast. Thanks for taking the time and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Eddie. All right, we are finishing up here this mock draft. It's coming to an end fairly quick. We are already up to pick 28 with the Los Angeles Chargers. And joining me to make this pick is the Packaday Podcast very own Matt Freilich. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I am excited to see who you might pick here for the Los Angeles Chargers. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Chargers at 28 have a lot of options, Andy. I look at their team and I mean, they have a young core, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball. You got Melvin Gordon, a couple other running backs there, and Eckler and Justin Jackson, who we saw late in the year um, when some guys, you know, went down and he stepped in. You got Hunter Henry. Obviously, Keenan Allen went healthy. is one of the best receivers out there. Um, you move to the other side of the ball, the dynamic duo in Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa freak of natures and then the secondary obviously is really great too uh Casey Hayward so they have some options there Andy I'm looking at like maybe a Debo Samuel to kind of solidify a um you know that offense a little bit more Dexter Lawrence possibly as well um on the other side but you know I really see that they have a lot of options and they don't they don't necessarily need to lock themselves into a pick I think they have upgraded that offensive line recently as well too so it's it's one of those things where maybe they um they trade out of the pick and, you know, get some stock later in the draft um, in the, you know, the Saturday and the Sunday in the 2019 draft. Interesting. So it's funny you bring that up because I was actually kind of thinking about this. Okay. And there's a player that is still on the board that I think some teams may have some interest in. I'm not huge on Daniel Jones. In fact, okay. I don't view him as a day one quarterback, but I very much expect the NFL to view him in that way. In fact, I think he has a great opportunity to go in the top 20, yet here we are at pick 28, and Daniel Jones is still on the board. And maybe most importantly here is what's so important with these quarterbacks and why it's kind of getting to that point where teams might trade up is that teams are going to want to lock him in for that potential fifth year of the deal rather than just having the four years if they would take him in the second round. So some teams that could necessarily be interested here, maybe the Cincinnati Bengals, but the team that I think might want to trade up and maybe make sure that New England doesn't get this player either. Cause I do think that Daniel Jones could be in play for New England at 32 if he would somehow last that long and maybe be set up to be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. I think a team that would maybe want to block that and start building towards the future would be the Miami Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins aren't picking yet, probably until a little bit middle of the second round. Mm -hmm. So what I'm proposing here is that the Dolphins would actually trade their first round pick next year 
and their fourth round pick this year, the 117th pick in the draft in, in order to get this pick 28, I think it's a really good deal for the chargers. Cause they basically, basically get a really great lottery ticket with the Miami dolphins who are not expected to be very good next year. And they could easily have a top pick to take one of those top quarterbacks next year. Uh, and meanwhile, they still pick up pick 117 this year. So they still ha- end up with the same amount of picks. For Miami, like I said, it blocks Daniel Jones from New England, and it also potentially gives them that quarterback of the future while still keeping their draft capital this year. They've already picked up Montez Sweat at pick 13. They still have a middle second round pick, so they can really start growing their team right here in this draft. Do you think that might be something that the Chargers would be interested in? I think that's a really good option for the Chargers, um, and I think it works well for the Dolphins. I mean, they they have issues um, across the board. And I think number one, you look at quarterback play, uh, Luke Falk is not the answer. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know how much magic he's got left, but I think it's 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 dwindling down. And I think you got to go out and get your guy. Uh, Daniel Jones could be that guy. He seems like a Patriot guy, Andy, from the tape I've watched on him. And it just seems like a Patriot move to, to get them or to get Daniel Jones. I, I like the move. I think it's a good idea. You bring in Jones, who you know has had some success with David Cutcliffe at Duke. Um, he'll be paired up with now with um, Jim Caldwell. Um, little backstory: Cutcliffe actually did coach Peyton Manning back in the day at Tennessee. Also coached his brother Eli down at Ole Miss. So there is some connection there with some successful quarterbacks. And then you have Jim Caldwell, who of course had coached uh, Peyton Manning at a few years. Uh, with the Colts, I I think it's a good fit. Daniel Jones does have some things to work on. I mean, he's good. He's athletic. He's got the body type, 6'5", 220. Um, I think he throws the ball pretty well. I do see some bad mechanics once in a while as far as patting the ball a little bit too much, a little bit of choppy feet. You know, accuracies was about 60% this last year. He, he did actually have 38 drops by his receivers. So not great at all from his you know, his counterparts on offense. So you would imagine that would not be as high for drops for him when he gets to the actual NFL and his completion percentage would go up. I think it's, he's definitely, you know, he's not a complete talent right now, but it's definitely someone that he, you know, could work in the next two years while the Dolphins are rebuilding because they are in a hundred percent rebuild mode. I don't think there's anyone that would question that. I think it's someone that could really work for, uh, for the Dolphins team. No, I think so too. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, Jim Caldwell's there also is a new head coach, Brian Flores. He brings that Patriot way with him. And uh, I definitely think that, like you said, the Patriots could be interested. I think it's really great to pair a rookie head coach with that rookie quarterback in their first year so they can start developing that relationship and really start building this franchise out. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, making our second draft day trade, we already, of course, had one with the Redskins trading for Josh Rosen up at pick 15. Now we've got our second trade, another quarterback involved, uh, this time the Chargers trading out to the Miami Dolphins for a first round pick next year, a fourth round pick this year. And of course, the uh, Dolphins selecting Daniel Jones out of Duke. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. Before I let you go, where can we follow you and where can we find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Frey underscore. That's at M-A-T-T underscore F-R-A underscore. Find me on Twitter. That's the best way to get in contact with me. And obviously catch me on Pack-A-Day podcast whenever um, you got your, uh, your audio turned on on your headphones. Absolutely. You do great work, Matt. We appreciate you having you on the team. Appreciate you coming in today. Enjoy the rest of the draft process. And as always, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.
We are up to pick 29 with the Kansas City Chiefs, and joining me is Packaday Podcast's very own Jake Morley. Besides doing work for the Packaday Podcast and being a draft analyst for Cheesehead TV, uh, he is also a contributor for ArrowheadPride.com and also does podcasting for Arrowhead Pride. So besides, obviously, all of his amazing analysis here on the podcast for the Packers, he also has his side hustle with the Chiefs. So what better person to bring in and uh, discuss some Kansas City Chiefs draft with than Jake Jake, thanks so much for joining me. I re- greatly appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me, Andy. You bet. So this is a kind of an interesting board for the Chiefs. Before we kind of get into the pick, I just want to kind of get the feel for what's going on in Kansas City. What are some positions and maybe some players that Kansas City might be looking to address with this pick? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of talk about obviously upgrading the defensive side of the ball in Kansas City, and rightfully so with young MVP Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the ball offense would appear to be set. So there's been a lot of rumors and whispers uh, about specifically the cornerback position and the edge position. Now with the Chiefs, you know, they traded away D Ford, they cut Justin Houston, uh, they brought in Steve Spagnuolo, who is a, a defensive coordinator who played for, or not played, but he, he was with the, the Giants all those years that they had those really good defenses. And so what he's going to bring in is a 4-3 a under. And so D4 really just didn't fit into that scheme very well. Kind of what they're looking for at the edge position is really just your bigger, longer, kind of dominant type of uh, edge in the defensive run game that can also get after the quarterback. You see, you know, they brought in um, Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, Breland Speaks is a guy that they, they have high hopes for this next coming season. So, but I know edge is still a, posi- a position that, um, that that a lot of the fans want them to address early in the draft. You know, unfortunately, 29 does not appear that it will be a very good spot to pick up an edge player. So with that said, you know, some of the guys and some of the discussion that we've had over at Arrowhead Pride is, you know, potentially the Chiefs moving up in this draft and targeting a guy like uh, Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. He might be a guy that if he slides into the 20s, that might be something that really is appealing for uh, Brett Veach to want to do is is to move up into that 20s type range and select a guy like that. With him going off the board, though, I think they're going to hope um, that that some corners fall. Um, so the corners in this class, too, it would appear that there is really going to be not a ton of urgency to get these corners early. Besides Greedy Williams, um, there's guys that I don't think you know have the high-impact upside right away that could potentially be that type of guy to come in and play right away and to develop. So with the way the board fell for the Chiefs, a guy that, you know, when you, Andy, you text me who was available, who had gone, and I immediately went to all, you know, the, the four guys that I actually, we, we, we wrote our own draft guide for Arrowhead Pride as well, and a player that all four of us are really high on is Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Washington. Um, in fact, we like him so much, we actually call him Bayron Murphy. <laughs> um, so he's a guy that, with Steve Spagnolo coming in, the national media has really been pushing this. You know, he wants taller, lankier corners that are going to play in press coverage, and he, he does do that. He he does do that. He plays a lot of he plays a lot of man press. But you'll also see when you really dive into Steve Spagnolo's tape that he they play like a lot of like match zones as well. And we just think, and I just think that Byron Murphy is a guy that even though he's a little bit undersized, um, I think he can fit in a variety of schemes. I think he'd best fit in a zone. But at this point in the draft, when you have 
a need such as theirs at corner. They need capable bodies at that position. And Byron, Byron Murphy, uh, for my for my money, is probably the most NFL ready cornerback in this draft class. Now, like I was saying earlier, he may not ever develop into an all pro number one shutdown type corner, but I think he's got a really high floor where he's going to be able to come in and just be someone that contributes right away. I mean, he is the type of guy that, you know, he, he reminds me a little bit of Jair Alexander in the sense of the, his click and close ability. Now I think Jair is a much better athlete than him. I think, he was a much better prospect than uh, than Byron, Byron Murphy. But if that gives you an idea of the type of guy and the type of playmaker that he might be able to be, just super fluid hips, sticks with his guys in, like, in his hip pocket at all times, I think if he was there at 29, I think the Chiefs would be very happy with picking Byron Murphy and moving and just going to bat with him. Because, I mean, with Patrick Mahomes throwing 50 touchdowns last year, them averaging like 32 points a game, I mean, this is like this is really like the 2010, 2011 Packers offense, where you don't need a great defense, you just need an okay one. And so, if that's what the Chiefs can do here with this pick, I think they'd be doing backflips. Uh, that makes a ton of sense to me. I'm a huge Byron Murphy guy. I think he uh, would fit in with Kansas City great, and maybe kind of fill that void that left when Marcus Peters went a couple years ago, and they haven't exactly filled that uh, the way that they probably would have liked to at this point. Uh, before I let you go, Jake, where can we follow you on Twitter and on social media, and where can we find your work in your draft guide? Yeah, if you want to uh, follow me, give me a follow on Twitter at Jacob Morley. And like I said, we did we put out this draft guide this year for Arrowhead Pride. It was just me and three other dudes. Uh, it's, it's been, it was a, it was a lot of fun and we've had a really great response to it so far. Chiefs fans have kind of adopted me, even knowing that I am a Packers fan. So they've, they've treated me right. If that's something you're interested in, um, obviously as a Packer fan, I'm going to tell you, go out and get the Cheesehead TV draft guide. That is going to be geared towards you as a Packers fan. And the Arrowhead pride draft guide is, is very similar to that, but insert the Chiefs. But if you like just reading profiles and you like seeing where we rank guys, um, go ahead on over to uh, arrowheadpride.com and uh, and it's, it's, it'll be right there. So it just look or just Google search for AP Chiefs draft guide. It'll pop right up. Um, but that's where you can find that. And that's where you can find me on Twitter. And Andy, again, thanks for having me on this mock. This is awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all the work that you do for the Pack-A-Day podcast as well. Thanks so much and uh, appreciate your pick for the Chiefs. We are up to the 30th pick in the NFL draft, and of course that means that the Packers are on the clock. Of course, we already had Aaron Nagler pick 12 for the Packers, and he selected Greedy Williams. When I was thinking of who I could possibly bring on to select at pick 30, there was only one name that absolutely came to mind, and that was my good friend Ben Fennell. Ben is a NFL Network producer and is also a contributor for The Athletic. His X's and O's in film work is the best in the business. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it and looking forward to see who you take here for the Packers. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to hop on and talk some ball, talk some Packers, and uh, some of these draft prospects. Absolutely. So uh, as we touch base on, Greedy Williams was taken at pick 12 already by Aaron. Uh, So obviously cornerback is not a need here. Uh, But looking at this with kind of how the board fell, what type of positions and players might Green Bay be considering, uh, again, knowing that they've already taken Greedy and knowing what's available on the board? Well, I still think there's a number of positions that they need to address and obviously bolster with some depth. Offensive line was pretty much a disaster last year with injuries, so adding some youth and some depth and solidifying some of the spots that they've kind of addressed in free agency, 
I wouldn't be, you know, opposed to doing. Anytime you can address the trenches and bolster either side of the line of scrimmage on the D-line and the offensive side of the ball, I think that just helps your team and really bolsters your roster. But if we're talking positional players, obviously you could still use a younger tight end, a more traditional every-down tight end, maybe a slot receiver, maybe some more athleticism at linebacker. So there's still plenty of holes to improve this roster. A couple of big names still remaining out there. I'm sure a lot of Packer fans uh, that are listening and are on the clock right now are hoping that maybe this pick is going to be a Noah Fant. I know there's a couple of receivers out there that you really like, including A.J. Brown, Hakeem Butler, Debo Samuel. There's also big Jerry Tillery as well as Dexter Lawrence out there as well. Uh, Chris Lindstrom could potentially be an option as well here. So where, what direction might you be heading in and ultimately what pick would you be making here? So there's a few guys that I'm very intrigued with. I really like Chris Lindstrom, former right tackle, moved into right guard at Boston College. I just really saw him more of a day two pick. I thought it would be a bit of a reach at the end of round one. So looking at these receiver options, there's a hodgepodge of different size and shapes and abilities from Debo Samuel, Hakeem Butler, A.J. Brown. I just think there's a lot of talent to still surround Aaron Rodgers with at the back end of this first round. So of those three receivers, let's say you go that direction. How do you kind of differentiate between A.J. Brown and Debo and Hakeem Butler? And ultimately, which one would you take here? And and what's ultimately your pick? You know, the funny thing is, these are three of the more productive slot receivers in college football last year. And they couldn't be more different style of players. Obviously, Hakeem Butler is built like a power forward, that above-the-rim style of player. We've seen his contested catches. He's a tall glass of water, every bit of 6'5", 225. And then you see Debo Samuel, who's really a running back, gadget-style player that's played inside, outside, in the backfield, special teams. And then A.J. Brown is more of your traditional NFL slot receiver. Spent most of the time in the slot, working the middle of the field, excellent yards after catch receiver. So these guys have worked in similar areas of the field, but have different skill sets and body types. And it's really cool to see different shapes and sizes winning in the same area of the field. So with the 30th pick, we're going to go with receiver Arthur A.J. Brown out of Ole Miss. Uh, I think the need to replace Randall Cobb's production and having that receiver over the middle of the field is crucial. I know we can move Devontae Adams around the formation as we have in the past, but having that complement to Devontae Adams and somebody who's in a little bit more of a prototypical slot mold, and that's A.J. Brown, who he does have a running back body just being over – 6'1", or slightly over six foot, under 6'1", and 226 pounds. That's traditionally a running back body. He's very thick. He's well-built. He's strong. But he can also run sub 4'4'5", and he has the home run speed. He had 42 plays of 20-plus yards the past two years, and that trails only Buffalo's Anthony Johnson. So he has the big play ability, the home run ability. He could win with yards after catch. He could win in the quick game with route running. He could win down the field with his speed and tracking. And then in the red zone, he's very savvy, understands setting up corners, attacking leverage, and creating space for himself. So he's a very strong player. He's very much in the mold of an Andre Johnson or even a former Packer like Sterling Sharp, who's a very strong, physically imposing player. But he was only a shade over six foot and really had a kind of freaky uh, physicality to him despite not having that huge imposing frame. Maybe not that above-the-rim player, but someone that can really handle smaller defensive backs over the middle of the field. 
Very much so. Uh, AJ Brown's definitely a receiver that I really, really like in this draft and kind of fell in love with while I was doing the Cheesehead TV draft guide for the receivers. He kind of was somebody I put on and I kind of got bored with him a little bit. And then the more and the more and more that I watched, you just started seeing kind of the intricacies and the routes that he ran and how he was able to separate from defenders. Uh, Again, I, I really enjoyed him by the end. And I think I had him in the top three or four of receivers that I had in the, in the draft guide. So I would definitely be all on board for this pick. And we've already heard whispers from Aaron Rodgers of how it will be difficult to replace Randall Cobb in that slot role. Uh, AJ Brown should be able to come in and fill that role really, really nicely. And he just strikes me as somebody that is going to come in and earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers very quickly. No doubt about it. He's very strong hands. And now there's some buyer beware with AJ Brown because he doesn't have a great catch percentage. He had 120 targets and only 85 catches. But his quarterback was very up and down, very inconsistent, very inaccurate at times. Only four drops accounted to those 120 targets. So once you put that ball on A.J. Brown, he's normally coming down with it. And if you look at the last five years in the NFL, it's typically that interior slot receiver. That's some of the more productive receivers uh, over the last five years, whether that's a Jarvis Landry, a Golden Tate, a Randall Cobb, Julian Edelman, Odell Beckham. These are some of the household names in the NFL and marquee talent in the slot. And that's kind of where A.J. Brown fits in. Absolutely. One last question for you. Let's go alternate timeline here for just a little bit. Uh, just a couple picks before you're picking A.J. Brown here. Uh, Nikhil Harry went at pick 26 to the Colts and D.K. Metcalf went at pick 27 to the Raiders. Should either of those players also be available at pick 30 here with A.J. Brown, with Butler and with Debo? Would that have changed your pick at all or would you have stuck with A.J. Brown? I would probably still stick with A.J. Brown. I really like his ability to separate within the route, what he can do in yards after catch. Nikhil Harry and D.K. Metcalf are very intriguing players. Obviously, their size and their speed, and they're very imposing figures on the outside. But there's some question whether they'll be able to separate in the NFL and if they really have the route-running savvy to set up NFL cornerbacks on the outside. Can they win the contested catches? Sure, in college. Those get much more difficult in the NFL. So I feel much more confident in going with the receiver that can get himself open. And that's A.J. Brown. Completely agree. Ben, thanks so much for making that pick. I love it. And uh, before I let you go, where can we follow you on social media and where can we find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. That's F-E-N-N-E-L-L underscore NFL. And you can follow me over there at The Athletic Wisconsin, where I'm a contributor and I'm pumping out my film breakdowns during the season, and you might just find a draft breakdown or two in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout. I will absolutely be a look on lookout for that as well as our listeners. You guys are doing phenomenal work at The Athletic. If people have not subscribed yet, make sure to do so. Uh, ben and Michael do tremendous work for The Athletic Wisconsin and all the Bucks and uh, Badgers and uh, Brewer stuff is fantastic as well. So make sure to go check that out if you haven't already. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, go Packers. I'm sure we'll touch base soon. Always a pleasure, buddy. We are nearing the end of our mock draft simulation, and we are up to pick 31 with the Los Angeles Rams. Of course, the Rams were so close to winning a Super Bowl a season ago. Now they're picking 31st overall. And to join me and making that pick is Cameron DeSilva. He is the managing editor for the Rams Wire. Cameron, thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk some Rams football with you. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. I appreciate it. So, of course, the Rams were uh, in the Super Bowl a season ago, came so close to winning the championship. What type of player might the Rams be looking for here to really try to put them over the top? 
Yeah, there's a few different positions that they could be looking at. They did lose Roger Saffold in free agency. Um, he's their left guard, and then they cut ties. They didn't pick up the option of John Sullivan, uh, their center. So they could look at the offensive line, kind of that interior group, and try to find a new starter there. They need some outside pass, pass rush help to kind of complement um, what Aaron Donald does on the inside. They did re-sign Dante Fowler and, and pick up uh, Clay Matthews, but they could still use some help there. Um, safety, even though they, they signed Eric Weddle, inside linebackers. So there's a few different positions they could look at, most of them coming on defense. No, that makes a ton of sense. And as you mentioned, there's certainly a, a couple holes that were kind of created based off of this past offseason. One of those, of course, is potentially uh, with Indomitian Sue leaving. Uh, with Sue potentially leaving, I guess, first of all, has there been any contact with the Rams at this point? Is there any chance he may come back or is he basically a goner at this point? He's, he's basically a goner. Um, Les Snead said it's almost guaranteed that he's going he's gonna to leave and go somewhere else. Uh, they simply just don't have the cap space to re-sign him right now, especially after bringing in Matthews and re-signing Fowler and and Eric Weddle. So um, it's basically a foregone conclusion that he's going to be gone. He might have to wait until May 7th, the deadline where uh, compensatory picks don't count anymore, but it, it's all but certain that he's going to be gone. Gotcha. So with that being a potential hole, is there a defensive tackle that might make sense here? Obviously, two big ones still on the board uh, with Dexter Lawrence and Jerry Tillery. But as you mentioned, they could go a variety of different areas, too. So ultimately, where do you think the Rams would go in this type of situation? It's it's tough to say exactly what where they're going to go. Um, you got a guy like Tillery, like you mentioned, he can play kind of that defensive end in the 3-4 defense. He does fit well as a three technique in a, in a 4-3, but with the Rams going with a 3-4, I think you kind of put him at defensive end and and kick Michael Brockers inside. But um, Dexter Lawrence is someone that I really like for them. They've been kind of searching for that big uh, run-stuffing nose tackle ever since Wade Phillips took over a couple of years ago. And they tried to fill it with Sue, and I don't think he was a good fit at all. Um, he's just kind of undersized for that nose tackle role in a 3-4. In a um, Dexter Lawrence is a great athlete. Um, he's a powerful run defender. And at his size, with I think he's somewhere around 340 pounds, he's a perfect fit in, in that 3-4 defense at nose tackle. And he would kind of eat up blocks for uh, for guys like Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, um, making their lives hopefully a little bit easier. Yeah, for opposing offensive lines that have to play against the Rams, having to go against Dexter Lawrence and, of course, Aaron Donald, and then you add in a Michael Brockers in there. Uh, for their sake, I hope that this maybe doesn't come to fruition, but I think it makes a, a ton of logical sense and would be a really, really strong fit for their run defense. And again, like you said, he's, an, he's a phenomenal athlete, so he could open things up big time for the rest of that defense. Uh, any other thoughts on where the Rams might go on this draft? I think you could see them look at cornerback. Akib Talib and Marcus Peters are both free agents after this next season. The Rams have expressed a desire to to sign Marcus Peters to a long-term contract, but even if they do that, you're looking at Talib leaving um, next offseason. So cornerback is kind of one of those underrated needs for them. It might not be their biggest need, but if someone like maybe Byron Murphy or um, one of the other top cornerbacks, Greedy Williams, falls to them at 31, they might think about pulling the trigger there and, and foregoing um, the defensive and offensive line in, in the first round. So I think that's somewhere they can look. They're not going to look at running back or wide receiver like some mock drafts have indicated. But I, I think really it's going to come down to offensive line, defensive line, and, uh, and possibly the secondary. 
certainly a lot of options. And with the, the team that they've assembled, they can go in a variety of different directions. Cameron, thanks so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can we find you on social media and on the web? Yep. I'm on Twitter at Cam Silva, And then um, I run the Rams Wire. So you can follow us on Twitter too, at the Rams Wire. You do fantastic work. Thanks so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. And good luck to your Rams in the draft. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. We are at pick 32, and our mock draft is unfortunately coming to an end. But that means on the clock are the defending Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. And joining me to make their pick is the senior writer for Inside the Pylon. He is Dave Archibald. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and make this pick for the Patriots. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So, Patriots picking 32, last pick in the first round. Uh, Certainly a a few different options that they could go here. Certainly have had some players fall like a Noah Fant, um, a player that I really like on the board and Jerry Tillery. Uh, Certainly a receiver like Hakeem Butler is still out there. First of all, before we even get to the pick, what are some options that New England might be considering here and maybe some areas of need that they might want to address? With Gronk retiring at tight end and then... um... You know, wide receiver was an issue on and off last year. They lost Chris Hogan. Who knows what's going on with Josh Gordon? And then the other big uh, question mark is the defensive line. They lost Trey Flowers in free agency, Malcolm Brown, Danny Shelton. So I'd say those are the three biggest areas that they're, they look a little bit weaker than they did uh, last year. Interesting. So uh, a few different options. And, and you mentioned receiver, tight end, defensive line. And we, we mentioned a couple options that were available there, including Tillery Fant and Hakeem Butler. Where did you ultimately go for this pick and how will they fit in with the Patriots? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to argue with anyone who wants to take uh, Fant or Hakeem Butler. I mean, great prospects, but I, I put on my what would Bill Belichick do hat. And Belichick is a big believer in the defensive line. A lot of their First round draft picks have been defensive linemen, and there aren't a lot of guys who are built like Jerry Tillery. You know, 6'6, 295, 81 inch wingspan, led Notre Dame in sacks, plays all over the defensive line. He sounds like a Patriots pick. He really does, and I think you absolutely did put your Bill Belichick hat on on that one. He just feels like a New England Patriots player and certainly somebody that could come in and be a disruptor on the front seven. And uh, I just, like you said, I think he makes a perfect sense here for the New England Patriots with the defensive tackles that they lost this past offseason. And, like, and also, like you said, I kind of put Jerry Tillery in that uh, category of they just don't make a ton of human beings that move at that size like Jerry Tillery does. They do not. <laughs> and he can do a little kind of three, four end stuff, you know, play head up on the, the tackle. He can play on the inside, like a three tack or on the nose. So, I mean, Notre Dame moved him around a lot. I think Belichick would have a lot of fun with them. I absolutely think you are right. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can we find you on the web and where can we find you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Dave Archie, and my work is up at InsideThePylon.com. So Excellent. check it out. Excellent. We will absolutely do so. I, I hesitate to say good luck to your Patriots this year, but I will do so anyway. I hope they have a great draft, and I hope you enjoy the entire process. So that does it for the NFL draft, right? 
not exactly. Did you really think I was going to come all this way to sit everything out? With the 33rd pick in the NFL draft, we officially have a trade. The Green Bay Packers have traded up, trading pick 44 along with their two fourth round picks and the sixth round pick that they received in the Brett Hundley trade to get up to pick 33. And with the 33rd pick in the NFL draft, the Green Bay Packers have selected Noah Fant, tight end out of Iowa. And that will officially do it for our NFL mock draft. The Packers officially leave the first 33 picks with Greedy Williams, A.J. Brown, and Noah Fant, a haul that I think most people would be totally on board with. Uh, Obviously getting a top-end corner, a top-end receiver, and one of the tight ends that a lot of Packer fans have been wanting for a very long time in Noah Fant. Let me give you a quick recap from picks 1 to 33 before I let you go. With pick 1, we had Kyler Murray to the Cardinals, Nick Bosa to the 49, Brian Burns to the Jets, Quinnen Williams to the Raiders, Josh Allen to the Bucks, Jonah Williams to the Giants, Jawan Taylor to the Jaguars, Ed Oliver to the Lions, TJ Hawkinson to the Bills, and rounding out the top 10 was Drew Locke to the, to the Denver Broncos. At pick 11, the Cincinnati Bengals selected Devin White, the Packers selected Greedy Williams, Montez Sweat went to the Dolphins, Christian Wilkins to the Falcons. We had our first trade as Josh Rosen went to the Washington Redskins, the Cardinals then selected Cody Ford with that pick 15. At pick 16, the Panthers selected Cleland Farrell. Dwayne Haskins went to the Giants. Andre Dillard to the Vikings. Hollywood Brown to the Titans. And rounding out the top 20 was Devin Bush to the Pittsburgh Steelers. At pick 21, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson went to the Seahawks. Garrett Bradbury to the Ravens. Dalton Reisner to the Texans. Josh Jacobs to the Raiders. Rashawn Gary to the Eagles. Nikhil Harry to the Colts. DK Metcalf to the Raiders. We then had our second trade as the Dolphins traded their first round pick next year and a fourth rounder this year uh, up with the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers picked up that extra ammunition. The Dolphins then picked Daniel Jones with pick 28. One pick later, the Chiefs selected Byron Murphy. A.J. Brown went to the Packers. Dexter Lawrence to the Rams. And ending out the first round was Jerry Tillery to the Patriots. And then, of course, Noah Fant just went number 33 overall as the Packers traded up to 33 uh, to get Noah Fant, the tight end, out of Iowa. A huge, huge, huge thank you to everyone who participated in this mock draft. That includes Jess Root, Steve Perhatch, Anthony Lasardi, Andrew Murtag, Trevor Sikama, Dan Kotnick, Cold Take Chris, Russell Brown, Joe Marino, Jake Turner, Nathan Papandrea, Aaron Nagler, Chris Spooner, Kyle Fellows, Zach Hicks, Bill Rossetti, Mike Wentland, Luke Braun, Johnny Kinsley, Tony Serino, Carter Donick, Lindsay O'K, Mark Lane, Owen Reese, Mark Eckel, Tyler Grezegorik, Ross Uglum, Matt Freilich, Jake Morley, Ben Fennell, Cameron DeSilva, and Dave Archibald. Thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was certainly a lot of fun to record. Make sure to check out an all-new episode tomorrow, but until then, and as always, Go Pack Go! One kick away from the NFC Championship game from the 41. Left pass spot, 51 yard, field goal attempt, snap, placement, kick to the upright, and it is right to the it is good, and the Packers are going to the NFC Championship game! And what a happy bunch of Green Bay Packers! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.